My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a brand consultant and photographer by day, but by night, he pursues truth, liberty, Jesus Christ, and personal sovereignty on social media. He's a pureblood, a New World Order disrespecter, Bitcoin hodler, and bold and courageous truth speaker. Please welcome Sovereign Bra. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you may have heard me say that one of my favorite activities is sailing. In sailing, you can have the ideal boat, skills, experience, and plan, and yet you still have to rely on providence for propulsion. And one of my favorite things about sailing is that moment when providence shows up. The sails fill, lines tighten, the hull leaps forward, taking you with it, and with a light touch, you can even feel subtle currents of the water vibrating through the rudder up to the wheel. It's an exhilarating full-body experience of sight, sound, smell, and touch. Believe it or not, being a creator on social media is a bit like sailing. You can have the ideal message, profile, strategy, and style, but without providence showing up, your content won't go far. Oh sure, you can row or blow into your metaphorical sails, but every creator knows that moment when something you dashed off and posted without thinking suddenly gets caught by the wind and travels much further than you could have hoped or dreamed. This is why it's important to have that message, profile, and strategy ironed out. For the same reason in sailing, you want to have your boat, skills, experience, and plan in order. Because when that wind comes, you have to know, as much as you can, who you are. Whether content creator or sailor, you are the captain. Where will you be going? What will you be doing? What purpose will this journey serve? Will it benefit your ends or someone else's? If so, whose? Not to mention the winds of providence might blow out. If and when they do, how will you know whether you've used their energies for the good, better, or best result? What might those be? These are meaningful questions, weighty even, especially because if you don't answer them, someone else could answer them for you. So I think now you get the sailing metaphor. Let's raise the stakes. What happens when you don't catch a gentle breeze on a placid lake within your local group, but when you catch a gale-force wind on the high seas of global political influence? What happens when a clip of you goes so viral that you hear everyday people around you playing it? And not because you did something foolish, but something praiseworthy, speaking truth with a capital T to power with a capital P. What happens when you don't go from zero to 60, but zero to 600 overnight? What then? I'm sure plenty of you listening would say, I'd be fine, bring it on. But would you? When a providential wind fills your sails, 
What kind of captain will you be? How do you know? And more importantly, where do you get your knowing from? These questions bring me to my guest this week. His name is Chase, but you may know him better as Sovereign Bra. Or really, you might not know his name at all, but you'd almost certainly recognize his face. Late last year, he was your garden variety anon, posting about Bitcoin, sovereignty, Christianity, and masculinity on the timeline, with occasional schizomaxing about global elites to keep it casual. Until he appeared on the soon-to-be-explosively-popular-whatever podcast, where he spoke powerful truths to a panel of girls about their life choices and subsequently went mega-viral. That clip then led him on to Tim Pool's show, and for those few who don't know the name, Tim Pool is a popular YouTube political commentator. You know, the guy who wears the beanie? On that show, Chase took a big risk, one of the biggest risks of all, preaching the gospel to Tim and his audience of millions. That clip exploded. Viral isn't even the word. Because when the rain clouds break open and light shines through, we don't call that going viral. We call that providential. And Chase was standing there in the sunlight with a smile. Everything after that is the subject of this podcast. What happens when a good man suddenly finds his sails filled on those seas of global influence? Where does he go from there and why? How does he navigate? What is his compass and north star? For all the godly men wondering, who would I be if it were suddenly my turn on the stage? I pray Chase provides you an example of who I think we'd all like to be and work to become. In our conversation, we discussed Chase's background and rocket ride to stardom, God humbling the proud, the contrast between physical strength and spiritual strength, the alpha male versus incel false dichotomy, righteous ambition and spiritual warfare. And finally, our personal testimonies and Chase's moving story of his own transformation in Christ. Also, in this podcast, for the first time publicly, I talk about my documentary project, The Renaissance of Men, which I've been working on for almost three years. You've heard me reference it many times. Now find out all about it. If you'd like to watch a complete overview of what The Renaissance of Men is, where it came from, and where it's going, Hit the link in the show notes to watch my documentary overview to find out more. This has been a video I've kept private for months, and I'm very proud of it. And now it's the time to share it with all of you. And I hope it blesses you to understand our cultural moment as men and women, and I hope it inspires you to help. The Renaissance of Men podcast is sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine beans hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne in Springfield, Missouri. Reformation May starts next week. In it, I'll be going on a coffee adventure. Brandon is going to help me reform my coffee experience from drip heathen to pour-over apologist. But before Reformation May starts, I want you to know why I'm such a fan of Reformation coffee, and it's not just because of their beans. Keep listening to find out more, or visit reformationcoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE to get one free bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, an insightful observer of our collective moment, a speaker of truth when it counts, and a warrior for Christ on the highest stages, Sovereign Bra. Hey, Chase, man. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, bro. I've been so excited to have this conversation because you've been, uh, you've been riding a rocket recently, really took off in, in, the, most, in, the, most literal, in the most literal sense. And I, when I see that happening to somebody, obviously I celebrate it, but I recognize that a, a big ride like that massively into the public spotlight has its own 
costs, its own unique kind of way of being. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that you made the time to be here today. Yeah, dude, I'm super grateful that you uh, felt like having me. I'm super grateful to have the opportunity to, to speak some truth into our culture as best as I possibly can. And uh, it's, it's an honor, man. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, speaking truth is a really great way of putting it because I think um, of the many things that I've heard you say in the podcast that you've been on, when you were on Tim Pool and you were actually kind of preaching the gospel a little bit to him, it's like, wow, that is exactly what we need at that level of visibility. Like, I commend you. I honor you for that, man. That must have taken a lot. Thank you. I mean, honestly, bro, like my relationship with Jesus and like the work that I'm here as a Christian to do for him is is my number one priority in life. You know, I, I when it comes to all the social media stuff and the podcasts and everything like that, it's all really cool. You know, I want to make a difference in the culture as best as I possibly can. But in my opinion, the only metric that matters at the end of our lives is how well and how effectively we served Jesus, right? Like he, he talks about the, the the parable of the good and wicked servant at the end of Matthew chapter 24. And I want I, I want to be able to face Jesus one day and and to have him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And when it came to the Tim Pool interview, like my my one goal going into it, like I was like, yeah, we could talk about the trans stuff. We could talk about the culture. We could talk about everything that's broken in our society. But my one goal that I wanted to execute on was was having the opportunity to share the gospel and to try and do it effectively uh, on his platform. And he opened up this like tiny window at the end mm-hmm. of the podcast. And I just, I like, I sent it as best as I could. And I'm, so, dude, I'm so grateful that, that I had that opportunity. It's, it's, it's awesome, man. You know, I, I hope everyone listening to the audio can, can hear the smile on your face right now. Like I can see it and it'll be <laughs> on the video, but like the genuine enthusiasm in your, in your voice, I, I hope everyone listening, God, zero to 60 right away, boom, rang right out the door. But, um, you know, the genuine enthusiasm, your voice for doing that, I think that's the mark of a, a real spiritual warrior. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that we, that we need to be reflecting more of, but then B it's just, it's so inspiring to me because, you know, I was listening to uh, pastor Doug Wilson today talking about so many evangelical preachers that are actually kind of afraid to preach the word. And it's like, they've been doing it for years and they're afraid to do it now. And here, this guy shows up on Tim pool out of nowhere and preaches the gospel bang with this joy in his face that's where we need to be right now. Yes. Yes, it is, dude. And, and you know, the reality is, what is the word of God? What, what does Ephesians 6 tell us it is, right? It's the sword of the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this sword has the power to demolish spiritual strongholds in the world, right? And, and it is not something that we should be afraid of. It is, the sword of the spirit is essentially Excalibur right? It, 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 is, it is the truth. It is the word of God. And in, in a world that's full of lies and deceptions and distortions, you know, when, when a man stands up and he speaks the truth and he wields that sort of the spirit, he's effectively waging spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's what I believe that we are here to do as, as men and women, and especially as men. Um, and you can see, you can see the fruits of it, you know, like in, in that whatever podcast clip, even just, just simply yeah. Uh, saying, yes, it would be homosexual for uh, a biological male to have sex with another biological male who identifies as trans. And, and then, you know, referencing just, you know, one, one Bible verse, Genesis, I believe it was chapter five, verse two. Like you can see just the, the, the reaction that it causes in, in these like godless people that are wrapped yeah. up in all of these demonic ideologies. It makes them like explode. And that's the power of the sword of the spirit. That's the power of truth and the word of God. And it, it is, 
in my opinion, it's just it's so important that we as men be 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 wielding that sword in the world around us right now because that's how we fight back and that's how we we honor God and we glorify the kingdom. You know, Amen. What else are we going to fight back with? Right? Are we going to fight back with politics? Are we going? I mean, fighting back with content, like good, especially high quality aesthetic content, is important. But what's what's in that content is what really matters. And what else is there to fight with? I know that a lot of guys. You know, they get they get super excited about let's say their their stores of ammunition, but that seems to me to be ultimately missing the point that we have a much more powerful weapon in the gospel, in God's truth, that so many men are afraid to even like pick up. Like, Ugh, I don't know, I don't know, can we, I don't know if I can do that. So I, I, that's kind of the position that I find myself in quite unexpectedly because I'm I'm a relatively new Christian, just three years. I grew up Jewish and I went on a whole big exploration around the world and ended up in Christ and and finally found what I was looking for. And I'm showing up and I'm discovering these things that you're talking about. And it's kind of like, why is no one else really talking about this? Or why are so few people really talking about this? So to hear you saying all of these things is, I, I couldn't agree more. Thank you. And, and dude, praise God that you came from Judaism to, to Christ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's so inspiring, man. And, and uh, I, would, I would actually, maybe it's beyond the sp- scope of this podcast. Maybe we could do another one. I would love to hear more about that testimony. But just to add on to what you're saying, you know, Ephesians chapter six, it tells us that our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and the powers of the heavenly places, right? Yeah. And when it comes to the culture war that we are in right now, this is, this is a point that I really try to drive home with conservatives, especially like there's a lot of conservatives that are, you know, prepping for whatever it is, uh, civil war in the future or, or conflict or, you know, they, they want to push like the best memes that destroy the libs on social media and whatnot. Right, and like, right. like, it's good to be prepared. It is, it is good to share, you know, hard hitting memes that affect the collective consciousness in the culture war. All of that's good. However, everything that's happening in our culture, you and I both know as Christians, this is downstream of the spiritual war that's happening in the heavens. Thank you. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, if you're just attacking at the culture war level mm-hmm. with, with culture as opposed to with spiritual weapons, you are not getting at the root of what is causing everything to go completely haywire in our society. The root is really at the spiritual war. The, 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 the root is in the heavens. And when, when you're preaching yeah. the word of God, when you're using the sword of the spirit, then you are waging warfare at, at the highest possible level. And for us to effectively, like, take part in the spiritual war and to get to the root of the problem, that's how you affect, in my opinion, everything that's downstream of it in culture, in politics, so on and so forth. And like, dude, I, I like, I commend all of the culture warriors, but like for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm always asking like, how can I make the biggest impact possible? And that's, that's by getting to the spiritual root of all of these things, you know? And I, I encourage all men and women to, to remember that's where the root of everything that's going wrong is, is happening. So, okay, so I want to play devil's advocate advocate here for just a second, a little bit. So bearing that in mind, how do we prevent Christian men and women from becoming Gnostic and thinking that there's no responsibility for them to do anything physical? For example, one of the conversations that I have with a lot of guys I know is like, Christian men need to really, evangelical Christian men, but really all Christian men, probably just as much as any other American, really need to be getting in shape. Like, how are you going to be... Uh, properly advocating for the word if you're dealing with gluttony and sloth and, and all these sins, sins and you just carry them on your body. And so it would be easy to say something like, um, we need to fight the spiritual war with the word of God, but like 
that the spiritual war with the word of God isn't going to help you in the gym, right? So how do we put these two things together and orient them properly and make sure that, that men and, and women know that they're both essential in their, in, in their different ways? It's a very deep question and it's a good question. Good. I got all afternoon. Sweet. So (laughs) I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you my approach. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So what I recognize in my own life is that mind, body, and spirit are connected. Okay. And on my own personal journey, uh, you know, I, as, as I've told you and, and other people know, I struggle with a condition called Lyme disease. Okay. And this is, it's caused by a a super intelligent bacteria that wears down on the body, mind, and spirit. And in order to live a functional life, I have had to take extremely good care of my body and mind in the process. And this is, you know, my struggle with Lyme disease is actually what led me to Jesus. Hmm. And one of, one of the most effective tools in overcoming Lyme disease for me has been staying consistent with my exercise and my nutrition. Okay. I've had to be very disciplined with this. Now, one of the one of the benefits of being disciplined with my exercise and nutrition, spending time in the sun, lifting weights, doing sprints, doing all of these things, is I have strengthened my body and mind to the point where it has made me more effective as a spiritual warrior. Right? It, when you're when you're lifting weights in the gym, when you're pushing yourself physically and you're fueling your body with the things that your body needs to operate at peak performance, it makes you so much more effective as a man. Okay, and for, for a man to take that vitality that he has and to then apply that towards pursuing God and loving God and fighting for God in the spiritual war that we're in, it makes a man much more effective. And it also, it sets a good example for other people as well, right? It, 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 it inspires people. Like I've, dude, I've had, I've had so many messages from people that have hit me up in the past couple of months and they're like, dude, like we need a Christian Andrew Tate in our culture right now. Right, because because the the thing about modern Christendom is a lot of a lot of people look at the the, the state of the church and they're they're not inspired by what they see. Right, they see uh, drag queens performing literally in 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 churches. Uh, in, they're they're um, in church buildings. I would say that you know they're they're church buildings, but not actual churches. But yeah, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and they see you know the rainbow flags waving from the churches, and yeah. there's a lot of I've had so many conversations with young men in particular in the past year and a half who, you know, they're they're right wing, they're conservative, but they're trying to find something to believe in, something that inspires them. And they look at the church and they're like, dude, there's not really much there for, Mm -hmm. you know, young men filled with vitality. And I think that like, I'm, I'm very inspired by uh, the medieval church. I follow this guy on, on Twitter called the chivalry guild. Have you heard of him? I have, I think phenomenal, phenomenal Twitter page. His handle is at the Chivalry Guild. And his mission on Twitter and with social media is to uh, essentially resurrect the medieval code of chivalry, which was the Mm -hmm. code of knights who defended the church, right? And in, in the code of chivalry, it was a knight's job to be as deadly and strong as humanly possible so that he could defend the church effectively, but also to be as godly and virtuous as possible so that he had his capacity for violence totally under control and completely like subdued so that he would only use it when necessary right it was it was it was a knight's job to be as as christlike and vital as possible and that ethic like it inspires me so much because 
there's a lot of men and women who are looking around, especially women. They're looking around and they're like, where, where are the strong male leaders in the church that are willing to do battle, right? They're looking around for them. And I think the more men who realize like it is important to set an inspiring example, it is important to be strong and to be a leader while also being Christ-like. I think the more men that realize that, um, the less quote unquote Gnostic the church will be and the more inspiring it will be for people to join um, you know, in the church's arms and, and participate in the spiritual warfare. That's, that's, that's my take on it. Do you feel like I answered the question adequately? I do, yeah. I, I think, I think the, the, the notion of chivalry, of having something to fight for, of having something to defend, I know that this, in the dialogue around masculinity, this usually gets framed as men having a purpose, right? And a, sh- a, a chivalric knight had a purpose. His, his purpose was to defend the church as well as other things. So he knew what his life was for. And I think the problem that we run into today in America and modernity in general is that men don't know what their lives are for. And I think we have good provisional answers coming from from the evangelical side of things, fatherhood, prosperity, godly prosperity, all those things are very important. And I think I think there also needs to be a spiritual component of what are you fighting for in this, in, let's say in the spiritual realm? Because you can have a man going to war for his family for his, uh, we'll say, tribe, right? His, his immediate family, meaning his wife and kids, for his tribe, his chosen brothers, his friends, et cetera, maybe even his, his town in a way, or the values he holds dear. But going to war for higher spiritual values, for Christ really going to war, I think that's the kind of war that's readily available to every man now if he's able and willing to heed the call. But what else are you going to fight for these days, right? That is, that is where the battle is. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's it's something that I don't think enough men hear. And when I look at the the situation that we're in, when I when I look at the macro view of the situation that we're in in twenty twenty three, here's what I see: there is a spiritual war raging all around us. It's extremely evident and obvious at this point, in my opinion. Yeah. And the war is for the souls of humanity. Yeah. Okay. And, and one of the most obvious examples of this is in how the LGBTQ movement is metastasizing and manifesting in our culture to the point where kids are getting propagandized that, you know, a, a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy and now they're mutilating their bodies. And yeah. like, like this, this spiritual war has grown to the point where the ideology is so strong that it's going to lead millions of people towards hell. Okay. Oh, and yeah. And, and we have the opportunity as men and women to, to combat this, like these hellish ideologies that threaten everything that is good and true and that threaten the eternal destinies of, of human beings. Like we, we have an opportunity to do something about that. And, and whether or not we choose to participate in this battle will have eternal consequences. And like, I, I believe that, you know, I will face Christ one day and I will be judged for how courageous I was and, and how dedicated I was to serving him in this really critical time in human history. And I, I want to serve him well, you know, and I, I know that, that to, to serve him well, I will be rewarded with riches in heaven. And, uh, I, that's, that should be incredibly motivating for, for men and women to realize that they, they can be, they can, they can serve the king of the universe and they can be rewarded by the king of the universe and they can actually make a measurable impact on eternity with their actions in this life. And that's, that's purpose, man. 
Like mm-hmm. what, what could, what could bring a person more purpose than realizing that they, they, they can have an impact on eternity and the destinies of, of people's souls, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe people don't understand exactly everything that's involved in spiritual warfare and that they're used to thinking of spiritual warfare as a purely intellectual exercise. Like this mm-hmm. is something that I see a lot in the reform faith in particular is that a lot of the men are really good at apologetics. They're really good at apologetics. They're really good at, at defending and, and contending the faith for the faith um, with their words and mind, but less so with their body, meaning mm-hmm. like their physical presence, their gravitas, as, as Pastor Michael Foster talks about. And, and that comes, that gravitas, that physical presence comes from doing something active with your body that then feeds into everything else, essentially from the ground up. And, and maybe that's the way that we can begin orienting men to understand that, yeah, we're not all going to do charging into battle like the Rohirrim at the end of uh, Return of the King. But there is a way in that, in the way that that can actually kind of happen, or you can have that similar kind of feeling, for example, going into whether it be Tim Pool's studio or the, you know, the house of some unbelieving friends and actually preaching the gospel there in a hostile environment, quote unquote, not necessarily openly hostile, but not necessarily a friendly environment. Like that's kind of a rush in its own, in its own very good way that I think men might actually be looking for and, and could sort of call them forward to action if they have the courage to do it. hundred percent, dude, that was so well said. And I, I love the point that you raised about gravitas and how Michael Foster spoke about it because it, I mean, this is something that I like, I, I deeply understand in my inner being and on a daily basis, you know, when I go to the gym, for example, and I'm, I'm deadlifting or I'm doing pull-ups or whatever it is, squatting, with every rep, I know, okay, I'm strengthening my body and I'm strengthening the reserves of vitality that I'm building within myself. And those reserves of vitality, I can then draw upon when I'm having a hard conversation with some, some, you know, liberal girls brainwashed by feminism on the whatever podcast, or, you know, if I'm speaking to Tim Pool about spiritual warfare, like I have deeper reserves of vitality within me because I'm strengthening my body and mind on a daily basis. And that, you know, building that vitality within your physical body and then channeling that towards your service for God and your conversations with other people. It's just, it, it, it makes everything so much more effective. And, uh, and it's, it's inspiring. Like people, people are inspired by the fight that I have as a person in these conversations. They're inspired by my ability to maintain my composure in, in, in heated moments. Uh, and, and all of that comes from putting myself through like difficult, stressful situations voluntarily uh and and strengthening myself in the process and this is available to every man you know like every every young dude who wants to participate in the spiritual war i've received so many messages from guys in their early 20s who were like bro i want to play my part in the spiritual war what should i do it's like brother like read your word and get in the gym every rep that you do focus on strengthening yourself and dedicating it to god so that you can become stronger in your service to him and pray that God opens opportunities for you to then serve him and, 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 and play your role in the spiritual war. Because when that door opens, if you've spent years strengthening yourself, being disciplined in, in the pursuit of excellence in your own life, all of that will manifest in that moment in time when you can make a difference for God. You know what I mean? I, I really hope everyone takes a second and backs, backs up about 30 seconds and listens to that again. Because you, you said something so important that I don't think I've heard anyone else articulate, which is 
the, the gains you make in the gym, the physical hardship that you put yourself uh, through in the gym, whether it be lifting heavy, deadlifting, whatever it is, sprints, you know, especially high intensity stuff, whatever it is, boxing, doesn't matter. When you push yourself physically in the gym, it translates into the ability to push yourself through confrontational conversations about the word. Like, yes. How crucial is that? How vital? I don't hear anyone say, I've never heard anyone say that before. Yes, dude. I thank you for, for re-articulating it. That's, that's exactly the point, man. That's exactly the point. Because when, when I'm facing resistance in my own life, especially physical resistance, you train your mind to push through it, right? If, if, if you're being effective in the gym, you're, you're training your mind to push through that, that difficulty and that hardship of getting that last rep in. You're training your mind to become disciplined in, in pushing forward through that difficulty. And that, those same like neural pathways that you're engaging in the gym, I experience in my own life. Like I engage those same neural pathways when I'm having a difficult conversation with somebody who, you know, hates what it is that I have to say about my biblical perspective. It's like, I have, I have that mental endurance. I have the capacity to like stay strong in that moment because of the effort that I'm putting in, in the gym. And that glorifies God, you know, it glorifies God for me to have that inner reserve of strength. And it, it reminds me of Paul, you know, he would talk about how he, he wasn't just shadow boxing. He was disciplining his body so yes. that he would be more effective at running the race, right? Like that, that's, that's what it's all about in my opinion. That's crucial. That's crucial. Because I don't know that people understand how, how vitally connected our body is to our mind and how important language is to the mind as well. How it just, just yes. it's, a, it's such a fundamental part of who we are as beings. And, and I think you're helping, you're helping me put these pieces together, which is to say, because I've experienced in myself, like when I'm lifting heavy in the gym, I have this thing that I do inside my head. When, 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 the, when the weight sticks, bench press, squat, doesn't matter. My mind goes silent and I say, uh, one, I say one thing. I say, bar go up inside my own head. That's just what I say. And the bar goes up, right? Because I'm willing my mind to push through that discomfort. And so in the same way, in confrontational kind of circumstances or environments with individuals where they might not necessarily be amenable to what I have to say, or they might be angry, or they might be openly hostile, I don't necessarily say bar go up in the same way, but there's a feeling of pushing through that moment, you know, to be able to say the resistance that I'm experiencing with this individual is resistance that I can push through because I have the truth on my side and the truth cannot be bent or broken. And knowing that and, and feeling that in the same way that, you know, my body can move this physical thing through space. I can move this idea through space as well into the heart or mind of this other person. I think those two things are very parallel. 100%. 100%. I totally agree. That was very well said. And I would add on to it as well. Like, it's not just with like difficult conversations with unbelievers that, yeah. that this comes into play, right? When you, when you build those inner reserves of strength and those mm-hmm. inner reserves of discipline and willpower and vitality, like this can be applied to any sphere of life. It can be applied to your career as a man, having deeper reserves of willpower to put towards your work. It could be if, if you're a father. Uh, it could be applied towards being a stronger presence in your household, having greater levels of presence and endurance for difficult conversations that need to be had with your family members. You know, having yeah. having a stronger presence for your wife and your kids, uh, and and, and it, it also, you know, the beautiful thing about weightlifting and and getting good nutrition is that it increases your testosterone levels as a man, right? And this is 
this is like so critical to everything that's happening in the world right now. And not a lot of people realize how important this piece is, right? Like people look at the world around us and they're women, especially they're like, where are all of the real men? You know, where, where are all of the men that, that, that are, are strong and courageous and willing to stand up, right? God tells us all throughout the word, be strong and courageous, like in Joshua chapter one. And when a man, when a man lifts weights, and when he's disciplined and he's putting himself through that, that training process, it catalyzes a response in his muscles that, that then triggers uh, his pituitary gland and his testes to increase testosterone production. Okay, And mm. testosterone, this is, this is a hormone that God specifically designed to make men men, right? This is the hormone yeah. that, that, that creates masculinity, literally. Mm-hmm. And masculinity is, is a good thing, right? This is something that Michael Foster and many other men in our movement talk about, the, the vital importance of masculinity. And when you look at the world around us, the data shows that the average man in the West nowadays has 50% the testosterone levels of men in our grandfather's generation, yeah. right? We're, we're biologically speaking, 50% the men that our grandfathers were. And when, when I look at everything that's happening around us in the world, I think to myself, like, dude, if, if guys had double the testosterone that we did right now, we wouldn't be dealing with a lot of these cultural issues. We wouldn't be dealing with a lot of these social and spiritual issues. And, uh, I think, I think, you know, revitalizing the body to function at the, the, the rhythm and the frequency that God designed it to, um, just has benefits that would reach across every aspect of our society and world and, and the spiritual realm as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the war on testosterone is a real thing, whether it's taken place because of, uh, and it's all of these diet, you know, electromagnetic radiation, plastics, right. Comfort, the increase of comfort and convenience. Um, my, my friend, Alex Fetsky, you, you probably know Alex Fetsky. He talks about, uh, he talks about how testosterone is an on-demand hormone meaning the body's just not going to produce uh, testosterone unless there's some sort of resistance that, it's, it, that it needs it for. And so where is the resistance in our, in our world right now? I mean, if you were just strip, stripping away this, this spiritual cultural war we're in, life is pretty comfortable. So what's the, what's the need for testosterone? And that's why the need for voluntary hardship, period. Like This is not a negotiable thing because if you don't engage in voluntary hardship, your body will not respond in such a way to, cap- to make you capable of enduring hardship. Go figure. Yep. God designed these bodies pretty well. Hundred percent, man. That's well said. So, so let's let's back up for just a second because um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, uh, uh, from from your perspective, through your eyes, sort of document like where were you, and then what what happened with the explosion when the when the rocket took off the launch pad, and everything that's happened over the past. It's been several months. I kind of lose track of time, but you know how you went from being like a. Uh, you know, kind of. How did you phrase it? Like a, a casual kind of a non, in a way, on on Twitter to uh, to where you're at now. Like, just talk talk us through that kind of that kind of journey. Yeah, man. <laughs> Here it is. It's, yeah. Dude, it's it's been a freaking crazy ride, bro. It's been it's been yeah. so insane, dude. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. So let's back up. So, like. Who am I? Who is Chase? Who is Sovereign Bra? So, uh, dude, I, I've I've worked as a professional photographer and brand consultant for you know five or six years now. Um, 
that's just been my grind. Used to work as an ocean lifeguard, used a lot of my lifeguarding money to uh, save up for photography equipment, stuff like that. Uh, and, and a big part of the reason why I wanted to do that is because I hate, I hate other people telling me what to do. I hate, uh, you know, having to work for a boss and having to like muzzle myself and, and what I want to say when I'm at work. Like I, I'm a very like independent person and I always knew that I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to have a degree of sovereignty in my own life so that I could say what needed to be said about the things happening in the world and just so that I could have individual freedom, Right. And so I've spent, you know, the past half decade building, building my business as a photographer and brand consultant. Um, and when COVID really kicked off, you know, I, I saw just all of the lies and deception that were happening. And I would talk to just my, my friends on my, my personal Instagram story and whatnot about everything that I saw happening in the world. And, um, I, I was very privileged to be in that position to just freely say what I, what I see happening in the world while I was on, uh, you know, on Instagram and posting stories where I, where I would talk about it and stuff. And I would get a really good response from people. You know, people would be like, dude, thank you so much for saying what, you know, I've been thinking about everything that's happening right now. Um, there's a lot of people that, that are looking for people who will speak the truth. Right. And that, that was really impressed upon me as I was speaking out in the 2020 to 2021 kind of time frame, Okay. And during this time, you know, I'm only active on Instagram. And then in 2020, I start getting more active on Twitter. I've got just this like tiny Anon profile with like 600 followers. I've had a Twitter for like, since like 2008, didn't really use it much until like 2019 or 2018, 2019, 2020. And, um, then Twitter spaces came out and, you know, I just, started hosting discussions with my friends and we would talk about everything that's happening in the world and the spiritual war and these satanic pedophilic elites and just the, the, the crazy, crazy environment that we're in in human history right yeah. now. Yeah. And I spent many hours speaking on spaces with my friends about just everything happening in the world and really kind of sharpened my ability to, to, to speak and, 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 and hold gravitas in these kinds of important discussions and, um, I think in, it was in 2021, I think I was in downtown Santa Barbara walking around state street with one of my buddies and we ran into Brian, who's the host of the whatever podcast. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's a YouTuber who's, you know, been around for like 15 years. And back when I was in college, like in 2013, my freshman year of college, I saw some of his videos on, um, like Facebook and YouTube and stuff. And he had these hilarious viral videos. And I like instantly recognized him when I saw him walking on the street and I was like, dude, you're, you have the, whatever YouTube channel, I've seen your content. And he was like, yeah, what's up, man. And he was filming a video at the time and him and I just started talking and we, we hit it off. You know, it's like game recognizes game. You know, he, he right. could tell I was a real one. I could tell he was a real one and we exchanged phone numbers and that was kind of that. And he hit me up like six months or a year later. And he was like, Hey bro, like I'm, I'm doing a uh, podcast. I was curious if you had any, any interest in coming on. And I was like, well, you know, what's it about? And he was like dating. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Mm. I talked, I talked with my friends about it and, uh, I was like, yeah, like he just invited me on his dating podcast. You know, I'm, I'm like wondering if I should go on and, and they were like, dude, you should totally do it. Like it's an awesome opportunity. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, all right. And, uh, you know, so I, I go, I go on the podcast and we do like seven episodes and 
know, every episode is kind of the same. He's the way he structures his podcast. He, uh, you know, he, he's on all these dating apps and he would match with women in the local area here in Santa Barbara. And all of the, all of the girls here in the area, they're all like college students or like out of college working at bars or restaurants, whatever. And they're all liberal and vaccinated mm-hmm. and into feminism and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, so we do like seven episodes and every conversation is playing out the same. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm trying to explain to the girls why they shouldn't sleep with like a ton of dudes in their twenties. And like, you know, that might not be good if you want to get married someday, it's not good for you as a person, like discussing abortion, like every conversation was just kind of playing out the same. And, uh, the last few episodes that we did, um, you know, they were, they were very similar. And then I was like, you know what, like I've got, I've got it in my, in my bandwidth to do, you know, maybe one more episode. And I told Brian, I was like, let's, let's mix it up a bit. Let's be really strategic with this episode, right? Mm-hmm. This is episode 33 of the dating podcast. I told him, I was like, let's get like three great Christian conservative girls on the show. And then let's just fill the panel with the most like degenerate, godless, liberal women that we could possibly find. Like, let's throw some sex workers in there if, if we can, right? And so Brian brings on like a stripper and, and, a, and an OnlyFans prostitute and like, you know, some super feminist girls. And then we've got three Christian girls on the panel, right? And um, the conversation, for those who haven't seen it, this episode 33 of the Whatever Podcast, the conversation was like insane. It was mm-hmm. one of the craziest conversations I've, I've ever had in my life, okay? So we do the episode yeah. and uh, that's it. That was back in like October, November of last year. So at this point, it was like five or six months ago. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out. I've kind of, you know, I've had my fill and, uh, I told Brian, I was like, dude, like you're, you're doing great work with this podcast. He spent a ton of money setting up his studio and and creating everything. And I told him, I was like, you're producing fantastic content here. You should start taking clips and like upload them to TikTok. You know, TikTok's algorithm is, is really optimized for you to get discovered on that platform. Just start uploading clips to TikTok. And he's like, you think so? And I was like, absolutely, man. Because mm-hmm. at the time, he's only got like 300 viewers per episode. And, oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. And his episodes were getting like 10 to 15,000 views per episode. But I'm like, bro, this is great content. Like a lot more people need to be exposed to this. Start throwing stuff up on TikTok. So he started to do that. And as he's doing that, you know, there's a bunch of like red pill masculinity pages out there and they start discovering his content and then they start mixing his content and re-uploading it. And clips around like January, clips start to go viral all over the Twitter timeline, okay? Mm. And at this point in time, like I'm getting DMs from, from my friends who were like, I had like a small group of people on Twitter who knew I had even done that podcast. There were like 10 dudes and they're DMing me clips that are showing up on Twitter from the podcast. And I'm like, I'm like, oh shoot. Like I've got my personal identity out there. And like Uh-oh. On, on Twitter, like I've got, I have like a bunch of, I have a bunch of enemies because I've gotten into disagreements with like really passionate people and really nasty people on Twitter who like would do anything to like ruin a person's life and dox them. Huh. I'm and, familiar with that. Wait, what were the disagreements about? Just real quick. Um, I've gotten into uh, I've gotten into a lot of arguments with fascists in particular on Twitter because I'm I'm a Christian and I don't think okay. that all of our I don't think that all of our cultural problems can be used, can be solved with brute force and so I right. push like a I push a Christian perspective and 
I'm effective at pushing it in these conversations. And there were dudes that there were dudes that were essentially trying to form like a cult, a political cult on Twitter. Mm. And, uh, they just, they hated me because of how effective I was, I was shooting down some of their ideas and they got really nasty with their attacks against me and stuff. And so, you know, my friends are like, bro, like you're like two clicks away from getting doxxed from Brian's podcast right now by like any of these dudes that hate you. And I'm like, shoot. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I told Brian, I was like, yo, scrub, scrub my socials from your, uh, your podcast, please. Like, I don't want any of these, you know, neo-Nazis to, uh, find my stuff and, and try and, you know, mess up my life. And they, you know, they couldn't even really do much if they tried, but I just didn't want to deal with it. Right. And so clips, you know, clips are going, not even clips of me, but just clips are going viral on, uh, on Twitter and stuff. And I'm just kind of like, all right, whatever. And then like in early February, this one clip of me arguing with a feminist girl about how I was going to make a woman my wife, that one goes viral and it shows up on the Twitter timeline and the exact people that I didn't want, you know, finding my presence on the podcast, they, they find the clip and they're reposting it and then they realize it's me and my friends are DMing it to me and I'm like, oh snap. Oh man. And I, I was like a little bit nervous about it just because I didn't want to deal with the headaches of a bunch of people who hate me trying to mess with my life. But I was also like, whatever, you know, it's, it's in God's hands. Let's, let's see it play out. And, uh, and then it goes viral on TikTok and then it goes viral on Instagram. And, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of women found my page from the one that went viral on TikTok, really good Christian women, beautiful women. And they started following me on Instagram. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Uh, and this was like early February. And then, you know, that kind of dies down. And then on February 22nd, the one of me saying that I wouldn't have sex with a tranny because it would make me gay. That one just goes, <laughs> that one, bro, <laughs> just, just goes nuclear viral. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm up at 6 a.m. on February 22nd. Oh, no. I'm up at 6 a.m doing a project for a client. I had been pulling an all-nighter to get a project done for a client. And I opened my Twitter feed and I saw that the Hodge twins had posted that clip. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, where, like what's about to happen, man? And uh, then like more huge, like Clown World reposted it. And like the clip, like within a matter of an hour or two is getting millions of views. And I was like, mm. holy crap, man. Like something's happening here. It's kind of exciting. And... uh you know, I like, like somebody, I think the Hodge twins reposted it and they were like, they were like, he's got a point, you know, saying that I had a point that it would be gay to have sex with a tranny. Yeah. And, uh, I, I like retweeted it and I was like, yeah, he certainly does. Uh, cause the people who knew me would know that it was me in the clip, you know, I was just kind of being cheeky with it. <laughs> and, uh, then like throughout the rest of the day, man, it just, it goes nuclear viral and like within the next three days, like Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, JP Sears, uh, Tim Pool, like all these people had retweeted it. And I was like, you know what, man, like I might have an opportunity here to capitalize on this for the kingdom of God. And so I just, yeah. I was like, you know what, dude, I'm, I'm going to full send and just tell people, you know, that that's me in the clip and maybe I can turn this into something for God. And so everybody that was reposting it, I would just say, hey, like, you know, thank you for reposting the clip. You know, th this is me speaking. If anybody wants to see, because a lot of people were asking, where can I watch the rest of the episode? Mm -hmm. I was like, if anybody wants to watch the rest of the episode, you know, here's the link. And, uh, 
yeah, dude, it, it got that clip. The two, both of those clips in total in the month of February and early March, they got like, last I checked, like 40 million views. And wow. Yeah. And, uh, the response, man, was, was insane, dude. Like everybody, people on our side, a lot of people have reasonable fear of like getting doxxed and like speaking out against these leftist agendas because these Antifa types and these like leftist types, they get really nasty, right? And I was like a little bit worried about that, but I was also like, you know what, man, my goal going on that podcast was to have fun and serve God. And I know that like, I've got God's protection over my life and whatever comes of all of this, be what it may. And I was ready for hatred. I was ready for attacks. Bro, like 99.9% of the response that I saw to those clips, man, it was just people on our side, super grateful that someone had said what they were all thinking in a public platform. And I got so many messages from people that were like, just like, dude, thank you. Like I'm inspired by what you said. And, um, and it, it was really, it was really heartening. I had almost no people whatsoever. I had like, dude, like less than 10 messages of people who were like, screw you, man. And just mm. thousands and thousands of messages and emails of people being like, bro, like, thank you for saying what needed to be said. And, uh, yeah, dude, it, it completely changed my life. And I, I got so many messages from like, people that were like, dude, like I was in the sauna and this random guy who was there, you know, talked about the clip or like my family member talked about the clip. And I was like, Oh, Hey, I know that guy. Like this girl I was talking to her family members saw the clip randomly pop up on their own feeds. Like it went, these clips went all around the world. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm honestly, man, like it, 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 it's so amazing, Will, because I prayed to God for years with my friend. I was like, Lord, like, I want to make an impact in this world for you. I see the darkness of the spiritual war that we're in. I want you to use me as a weapon for your kingdom. You know, and I just, I prayed on this for years. I was like, Lord, if it's your will, I want you to use me as a weapon. And he freaking delivered in spades, dude, far beyond what I ever could have imagined possible. And it, it's like really affirmed my faith in, in God's ability to answer our prayers and uh it makes me just really excited for the future you know to see like how else i can i can be useful to god and i don't really know where i want to take everything yet yeah. um it's it's a strange position to be in like i i gained like 70,000 twitter followers in the span of a few weeks I had like no <laughs> had like it's wild man <laughs> i know dude i had like <laughs> like i had like 25 million tweet impressions and like millions of people that had gone to my profile. And, you know, I got, I got invited onto Tim pool and, uh, that, that was so cool because when, when I, when I shared the gospel on that at the end of the show, you know, some friends of mine and, and random people online, they took my testimony in the gospel and they turned it into like short TikTok clips and stuff. And then like they posted it. And then I reposted it onto my Twitter and Instagram. And I just kind of tracked the metrics across the platforms. And this like, this like 60 second clip of me sharing the gospel has been seen by like 1.5 million people in the past few weeks across the platforms. 
And, you know, I link to Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, that this is the book I talk about in my testimony that brought me back to Christ. Mm. I, I linked that. Dude, we freaking sold out the, the book on Amazon and a bunch of people are reading it and they're like wow. telling me that they're coming to Christ. And like, God is just, he's moving in such powerful ways right now. And I, I've just been, I've been really encouraged by all of it. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've also, it's so weird how it all happened, Will. Like everything went nuclear viral. My life just like takes this like exponential growth curve. Yeah. And then like two weeks after that, in my own personal life, everything starts going wrong in every single direction. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if it's spiritual warfare. I don't know. A lot of it seems coordinated by God to like humble me and keep me grounded and stuff and just like really sober me about like where I am in, in my life relative to where I want to be. And uh, yeah, it's like I had this like super high high and then everything crashed down to the earth like everything just totally completely went out of out of my own control in my own personal life almost all of which was totally separate from social media and it's been a crazy roller coaster and um i'm just dude i'm just like i've just been really leaning into the lord and just i've just been like all right god like i trust in you i see your hand in my life it's so obvious that like you're in control right now like i'm I was, I was trying to do all these different things in my personal life and every single one of them failed despite me trying my absolute best to make it happen. Mm. And I'm like, okay, God, like you're in control right now. You're stonewalling me on all these different avenues for a reason. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm trusting in your plan and it's hard to because I've been heartbroken in the past month and I've been like in despair at different moments in time. But I'm just really leaning into the Lord and, and praying to him every day, like, God, please clarify what, how you want me to use all of this power that you've suddenly given me. Like, please show me, like, what, what do you want me to do with this? Like, you've get, I feel like with social media, like, it's like he placed Excalibur into my hands with this freaking Twitter account that has 80,000 followers now. And I'm like, okay, God, like, this is a crazy amount of power. Reveal to me, Lord, what you want me to do with it. And I'm just, I'm like, I've just been really meditating on like the scriptures and, and, and God's plan because now I'm in this position, Will, where like if I make mistakes and I'm like an idiot with how I use my social media, it can have like real ramifications, yeah. you know, for my life and also other people's lives and just, just our collective discourse. Um, and I, you know, I'm just, I'm really like trying to be humble and lean into God and be like, okay, God, like what, what, what do you want me to do with this power? Cause it's not, it's not here for my glory. It's not here for me to just like, you know, I, I can, I can waste it on my own pride and ego and being a retard online, or I could like really try and steward it for him and, and for his purposes. And that's, that's what I've just been trying to, to, to meditate on, you know? Thank you for all that. Um, I hear, I hear all of it. And, um, I think the thing that sticks out for me most of all is the presence of God in your life through this entire journey, which isn't that long of a time, you know, five, six months, right? Like a blink of an eye in terms of lifetimes. But you said that you, you prayed to God to be a weapon, to be an instrument and God answered your prayers. And then, um, and then at, at 
And then on the other end of that, here you are gifted with a, I mean, a 70,000, for those who aren't on Twitter, like you can, you can make a consistent living 365 days a year with like 20,000 followers on Twitter, like 70, 80,000 followers on Twitter is a significant thing that's unparalleled on any other platform. People really don't understand how powerful Twitter is. 80,000 followers on Instagram, not even close. 80,000 subs on YouTube, not even close. 80,000 followers on Twitter is a big deal. And, and I want to say from having observed your use of Twitter, you've done an incredible job with this sort of Excalibur that's been handed to you. Thank you. you like that's been, that's been, yeah, that's, that's been the thing that I think has been so inspiring to me to watch is that you know so, so many men would be handed that power and they would destroy themselves or other people with it right and and that's what a lot of the men that I work with worry about is like if I pull the sword from the stone will I become a tyrant that's so many men's fears today we're talking about you know where are all the real men in my observation so many of the men that have yet to become real men they're afraid of what will happen of what will become of them if they actually become powerful will I misuse it right and that you had that same instinct, that same fear, and that you leaned into God to use it righteously and justly. And I picked up on that from your use of it. Like, wow, this guy's wielding Twitter like a master right away in an effective way that I think moves the dialogue forward. I just really want to highlight that for people because it shows that we can't do it in our own strength. We don't get there in our own strength. We can't make it through in our own strength. and We can't do things righteously in our own strength. And so only men leaning into God can really take this path and walk it righteously, successfully. And I don't think a lot of men really understand that. Um, so thank you for reflecting that that crucial part of your journey. Yeah, th- dude, thank you for uh, that 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 praise and encouragement, man. I I, I really I really appreciate that. And um, I, I haven't. I would put the only thing I would push back on is that I, the idea that I've been a master with it. Like I, I'm still. Right. I'm still an idiot, right? Like my friends and sure, I, well. my, my friend, dude, my friends and I were, we were joking about this a, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, the, the, the shooting that just happened in, in Tennessee with the trans person yeah. that went in and, and, and yeah. killed those Christians. Very sad situation, but, um, horrible, horrible. Yes. Um, so I'm like, like the way I was using my Twitter before everything like really popped off. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got a bit of a schizo streak, right? Like I, I study the elites. I, I study, you know, the, all of the <laughs> yeah. conspiracies and the false flags yeah. and everything. And I'm always trying to figure out like, what's actually going on here? Like how many, how many of these, like, you know, like the Uvalde shooting, for example, there was a lot to me that was very strange about that. Um, yeah. and, and there's, there's, there's been many events throughout history, like the Vegas shooting. This is another one where like, I'm, I look at these oh, things. Yeah. And I'm like, what's what's actually going on here? Are we being told the full stories, right? Because no, B- yeah, Bill Cooper. He, um, are you familiar with Bill Cooper? Behold a pale horse. Behold a pale horse. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So one of one of the uh, one of the ideas that he put forth in his book is that like our our intelligence apparatus, you know, w- would get to the point where they might begin staging false flags on U.S. soil, mass shootings and stuff for the purpose of ginning up public sentiment around. Uh, confiscating firearms for Americans, right? To make Americans defenseless for the new world order. And, um, you know, this isn't like a ridiculous conspiracy theory. There's precedent for this. Operation Northwoods that was proposed by the CIA when JFK was in office, right? They were proposing staging false flag events on U.S. soil uh, to gin up 
support for a war against Cuba, right? Our own government yeah. basically doing terrorist attacks on U.S. soil in order to push public sentiment in a certain direction. And so when I, you know, when I look yeah. at these like shootings and stuff, I'm always thinking to myself like, okay, was this, was this a fed op? You know, was this like, is this an op that was done? And when, when the, the shooting happened in Tennessee, there was some footage that was floating around of the shooter's shoes and they appeared to be different. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they appeared to be different in like the two different situations uh, in, in, the, in the body cam footage and in the CCTV footage. And I just, I like briefly saw it and I tweeted about it. I was like, hey, like this is weird. Like I want an explanation for this. It doesn't appear to be the same shoes. I'm not at all convinced. I just like tweeted about it casually, like I would have if I had like five or 10,000 followers and the tweet wouldn't really go that far. I tweeted about mm. it and then just like walked away from my phone and like, <laughs> oh no. It was just, I was like busy for the rest of the day and like didn't really open the Twitter app for the rest of the day. Like I was just kind of sitting, I was sitting on my, my porch, just like sipping coffee when I tweeted it and then I forgot about it. <laughs> and I, I came back I came back to Twitter <laughs> like later that night like I, I opened my app at like 10 p.m and I oh, no. I had like all of these messages from people like 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 people were like dude you need to take down this tweet and somebody was like chase you need to get in this space and defend yourself and like I'm like yo what what just happened in the past eight hours while I was gone? Yeah. And uh, then I like opened the thread and the, the threads got like thousands of likes and hundreds of retweets and like, like a hundred thousand impressions or something like that. And just hundreds and hundreds of comments and all these people that are like, you know, schizo maxing. They're like, dude, this was totally a false flag. And then there's like people that were getting in fights underneath the thing. And like, I'm, I'm like, whoa, holy crap. What did I just do with this thread that like I didn't even think mm -hmm. about before I tweeted it? And uh, like all these people got in fights on Twitter over it. And like people were like, you know, kind of like attacking the family members of, or I don't know if they were attacking them, but like people were challenging the family members of the victims and stuff. And I was like, whoa, these tweets that I just posted casually, like just casually schizomaxing on the timeline had a huge ripple effect, <laughs> right? Casually schizomaxing. Yeah, like it's it's like it's not a big deal if you've got a few yeah. hundred or a few thousand followers, but when you've got like seventy five thousand followers, like it it, yeah. it it's like dropping a boulder in a pond, you know? Yeah. And uh, anyway, so like it, 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 there wasn't really like a particularly negative fallout from it or anything, but it was just a good learning lesson. And my friends, they were like, they called it shoegate. They were like, bro, like 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 shoegate, like this this should be like. Like you have to realize the power that you have here. And uh, so I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to be very disciplined in how I use it. Because the other thing too is like, I'm, I'm a representative of Christ at this point. Like I, 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 yeah. I like outspokenly call myself a Christian. And so I can't like, mm -hmm. I can't be nasty to people on the timeline. I can't be like particularly crude. And I mean, I, you know, I, I've cussed a lot in the past, which is, you know, one of my Achilles heels, but like, I've never really been like a super nasty person or anything, but you know, I have to, I have to set a good example now at this point. And I'm really trying to like, just meditate on that. And, and as far as, you know, for, for other men who are afraid of their power at the end of the day, there's a tension that exists between taking bold and courageous action and really leaning into your thumos as a man mm. and letting virtue guide your actions without becoming too unbridled in your passions and in your, your speech, right? 
And I know that every word that I speak, I will have to provide account for in the face of Christ and in, in the face of God. I know that every word I speak, I, I will I will be accountable for um, when I meet Christ. And I'm just doing my best to be, you know, and this is all we as men can do is do our best to to discipline our words while also taking bold and courageous action. And it's better, I think it's better to take action while remaining grounded in Christ than to just completely leave your hands on uh, off of your sword. You know, like, yeah. like we are in a battle. You will have to unsheath your sword at moments in time. But like, this is the point of medieval chivalry. This is the point of the code of chivalry, being, being disciplined in your use of it and being grounded in Christ. Like that is the answer, you know? There are so many men who would pray or hope or cross their fingers um, for God to put them in, in the fight, you know, put me in coach, put me in. Right. And then uh, I love hearing how God tapped you and said, okay, you're in, you know, and like he didn't actually even tap you, he just threw you in the game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're in. And you know, I think, I think the thing that really comes across for me is, is, is how, how grounded you've managed to remain through it. And, and I think that's really important because uh, there are so many people and, and we see this every day where um, whether it be movie stars or musicians or athletes or whoever, you know, suddenly they become really big deals seemingly overnight. And you can get a sense that they kind of, they lose themselves in the process. You know, they become part of the machine, part of the beast, however that process takes place. But just on the surface level, they just like, who is this person that I've been a fan of for a long time? Who are they becoming? And, and I guess when, when I said that you've used Twitter masterfully, we, it's something that we are all aspiring to at, at, at various levels, even those that have, uh, that have millions of followers. I guess the thing that I was trying to articulate with that was, yeah, of course, we all RT things that we probably shouldn't. But I think what came across is your voice, is that you're still you, right? You, didn't, you haven't become some different guy with all this influence handed to you overnight. And I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing that... Um, that's very interesting to me because we live in an age of celebrity culture where people want to go viral and the things that they pray for or hope for, they destroy them. They just, the thing I I prayed for this thing and now it's here and it destroyed me like winning the lottery. Winning the lottery is like the best way to ruin your life. Right. (laughs) right? Pretty, pretty, (laughs) pretty documented actually. And so in a way, winning the influence lottery is a real good way also to destroy your own life and the lives of so many other people potentially as well. And so that sense of responsibility you feel, um, I, I hope that men are listening because this is my this is the best answer that I can provide to you. Of this is this could actually be you if you have the influence over your life that you want. You don't have to have eighty thousand followers on Twitter, but if you're looking to take influence over your own life as a man, and you're worried that you're going to be a tyrant, here's a man who's been handed influence over the a Christian man who's been handed influence over thousands or millions of people, and he's still himself. And so these examples are very hard to find. Thank you, man. Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, what it comes down to, man, is I fear the Lord. I love the Lord <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I fear the Lord, dude. And in my life, man, God has, <laughs> he has humbled me to the lowest possible lows, man. And, and, when I was, you know, 18, for example, this was before I came back to the Lord. In my own sphere at that time, I had developed a lot of influence because of some projects and stuff that I was working on. 
and it got to my head, bro. Mm, and okay. like I, I started to become very focused on myself, very prideful, very like egocentric, and was living purely for my own glory. And I became an asshole as a result of it. And like God let me ride that that massive wave for about a year. And then like everything came crashing down and he brought me to absolute rock bottom. And that when I was in that place of rock bottom, you know, God even though he humbled me and just destroyed my life at the time, mm. he led me back to Jesus. And for like years after the fact, I knew that like my, like it felt like the stability of my life was hanging on by a thread for several years after the fact, especially with my struggle with Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And like God, God was that thread. And I held on to God so tightly, like just like, Lord, like I know I need you in my life. And I, we know, you know, it's written in the scriptures, for example, that God opposes the proud, mm-hmm. right? You, you literally put yourself in opposition to God, the, the God of the universe, if you become too proud. And that is, I can't think of a worse possible position to put yourself in than in opposition to God. Yeah. And like, I, like over and over again, over the past 10 years, I've, I've relearned this lesson. Like, if I get too big in my britches, the Lord will humble me. In an instant, he and, and and it's like in this season of my life, he, like you said, overnight he put these legs under me. He gave me this power overnight, and I know that just as quickly as he gave me that power, he could rip it away and never give it back to me again. Yeah. And you know, I, I ultimately fear the Lord. And and for for those who, you know, there's so many young men who they want so badly, like they're jockeying for position and influence and, and power in the spiritual war. They so badly want to make a big impact. And what I, would, what I would tell all of them is like, if you're praying for it and God hasn't given you the positioning that you're looking for yet, realize that for you to have that position and that power might not be in your best interest and it ultimately might not glorify God either. Right, because like so many men, as you're describing, they destroy themselves when they when they get that power, and like you know, it's like Jesus said, if you pray for anything and it's to the Father's glory, and you pray for it in my name, I will do it. Right, this is a promise that He gave us in John chapter 15. And for years, for years, I was praying with my my best friend, Lord, please, like use me as a weapon. I want to I want to be a, a warrior for you. And he, he didn't answer that prayer for years. And then he finally did. And I, I look at just the impact that these clips and, and my speech has had in the lives of people. And I'm like, okay, like, I guess I reached a point where like God knew, okay, Chase, like you're ready. And, mm-hmm. and for me to give you this power, it will be to my glory. And I see, I see the fruits of it, man. Like people, I've gotten so many messages from people who are like, dude, like, you know, hearing you on Tim Pool or hearing you in these clips, it's inspired me to return to God, or it's inspired me to read more than a carpenter and to to discover Christ. And like, that's, again, like, that's the only fruit that matters. You know, everybody's asking me there, when all this stuff popped off, everyone was freaking asking me, especially non-believers. They were like, bro, how are you going to capitalize on this? How are you going to monetize this? And I was like, I was like, honestly, man, that's not my concern right now. Like my concern is like, God gave me this power. I don't know how long I'll have it for, but while I have it, I want to try and use it to bring people to Christ because that's the only thing that matters. And I think, I think just the fact that like, that's, that's the posture that my heart and spirit have had 
I think like that's why God like felt like I was finally ready for it, you know. And to God the glory, man, you know, like to God the glory. I'm I'm yeah. super grateful for it, and I'm also super fearful of it. And I'm just praying for humility continually because the last thing I want to do is become a tyrant or become a, a destroyer, you know. So I think that's that's the right attitude. You have to be fearful for, for of it, you know. If like if you if you were to wake up, it's like, oh yeah, I got all those followers and this influence. Watch this. Like that's a real good way to go wrong very, very quickly, right? And 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 um, I w- I've been working on a Twitter thread about how important it is to for for Christians uh, to adopt a posture, a truly heart posture of uh, uh, for the glory of God, not for the glory of self. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. I, I as I've been because I listened to a sermon by Bodhi Bakum recently. I have to see if I can find it and post it in the show notes where he talks about. Um, Doing things the right, uh, the right, doing doing the right thing the right way for the right reason. That's how you. That's how you get to a righteous action. You do the right thing the right way for the right reason. Because you have to do the right thing. But if you don't do the right thing the right way, it's not the right thing, right? You could do the right thing the wrong way with the wrong attitude or the wrong intention. The results will be totally different. So you do the right thing the right way for the right reason. And he said the only right reason is for the glory of God. Amen. And that that really landed, yeah, that really landed in me. And so now, as I've been going through my decision making process during the day, working on creative projects, et cetera, if I ever if I get to a point, I want to make sure that like, what is the right way to handle this? What would bring more glory to God? An answer arrives, or I just decide this is this is what I think it is. Then at least I know that I did it. The, I did it for the right reasons, and that frees me that if things don't go necessarily as planned, at least I did it for the right reason, and my conscience can rest. And that's so powerfully freeing. And I don't know that people talk about that enough, that idea of you do things for the glory of God. And, and it, it creates this entire sense of peace around decision-making, around creativity, uh, around just how to be in the world that I, I, I don't hear people really talking about enough. They say for the glory of God, but I don't know they position it as, and here are the benefits to your soul if you do things this way. Yeah, well said, man. And- The other thing too is like, to add on to that, God is infinitely more capable of working through us than we are of, of working through ourselves. And what I mean by that is like, dude, like, it's so funny, man. Like in, in, in my early twenties and in my late teens, not really in my early twenties, but in my late teens, you know, I saw social media influencer culture and all of these, like as a photographer, I saw all of these like mm-hmm. famous photographers that were living these like, you know, really high rolling lifestyles where they're shooting with models and like they're famous and they're making tons of money, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars doing shoots with like big influencers for big brands and stuff. And I so badly wanted that lifestyle. I worked so hard to try and create that for myself. And I really desired like, you know, worldly riches and possessions and, and, and the, the gratification of my flesh and all this stuff. And, you know, I wanted fame and influence in this time, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I worked so freaking hard to try and attain it and was just totally thwarted by God, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I, I believe it was because I had the wrong posture and like God knew if he gave that to me in that season of my life, I would just use it to destroy myself. Amen. And like... I look at I look at like how hard I was working at that point in time in comparison to how like I I really put like 
you know, I worked hard to get out to West Virginia with Tim Pool and stuff. And like, I really wanted to seize that opportunity. I put all of my energy and effort into that, not for the purpose of like becoming more famous or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but for the purpose of, you know, okay, I really want the opportunity to, to share the gospel on this show. Right. And like, dude, when I was on the whatever podcast and stuff, like I just, I went into each episode, not expecting anything to come of it. And I was like, to God, the glory, you know, I'm going to do my Mm -hmm. best. I, I cussed too much that I am really trying to get under control. But like, I was like, okay, to God, the glory. And God took like the, the, the little action that I put in that. And he just, he like pushed it forward with his finger ever so slightly. And it just turned into this massive, massive thing. And that's, that's the power of God is like when, when we're just like humbly, like trying to serve God, he can take the littlest of our actions and use it to bear more fruit than we could ever imagine. And when people, and you see this throughout the scriptures as well, God will take like the most humble people like Moses, for example, you know, the scriptures tell us he was the most humble man on the planet. Um, and he just pursued the glory of God. David, another example, he was a man after God's own heart. These weren't guys that were like pursuing fame and glory. They just earnestly wanted to pursue the Lord and God took them and used them to bear more fruit than we could ever imagine doing by our own hand. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, like, that's really, I think the posture that like Christians ought to take is like, okay, service first. And, and it's, it's good to have ambition to serve God. Like I tell this to, to, to men, especially it is good to have great ambition for the kingdom, not necessarily to glorify yourself, but to glorify God. It's great. It's, it's good to have great ambition to glorify God in big ways. Uh, but the most important thing is to just focus on humbly being in service to God every single day in our lives. And I think when you approach life from that position of humility, like you just, you never know how God can, can use you in in the biggest ways. And it doesn't have to be with like fame and influence and stuff. Like you could make a massive difference in one person's life. And like that, that brings God a tremendous amount of glory. Like if you just bring one person to Christ, that's, that brings a tremendous amount of glory to God. And, um, I'm just like, I'm not stressing about the future. I'm like, okay, I know like if God wants to continue using me, like I just need to show up every day in my life to try and glorify him. And like, it's like, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I have uh, the responsibility of caring with my, caring for my grandmother with Alzheimer's. And it's, Mm. it is, it is not a sexy way to glorify God. It's like, it's freaking brutal and it sucks a lot of days, but it's like, this is the position that he's put me in, you know, and I'm just going to continue serving. And who knows how God will use this situation to bear fruit? Who knows how he'll use it to mold my character so that I'm even more useful for him in the future? You know, I, I don't know, but that's the posture that I'm trying to take. And, and, and I think that's like just generally a good posture for people to take is that, that, that position of humility, you know? Hi, everyone. I'd just like to take a brief moment before Reformation May to tell you about Reformation Coffee and why I'm a huge fan of more than just their beans. Of course, I am also a fan of their beans, but it takes much more than that for me to be such an enthusiastic supporter on my podcast. This kind of endorsement cannot be bought, and those are the only kinds of sponsors I want to feature on the show and sign my name to. My guest on this podcast is named Sovereign Bra, emphasis on the word sovereign. It's long been my belief that we as men need to begin building systems of wealth creation and preservation for us and our families, communities, 
church, and the kingdom so we can achieve our own sovereignty. Wealth preservation is why I'm such a fan of Bitcoin. Wealth creation, on the other hand, is complex. It takes risk, dedication, faith, hope, a vision, and the good old-fashioned Protestant work ethic. But it also takes more than that. It takes our participation. We, as men and women, must be supporting each other's sovereign businesses. It's not enough to cheer our brothers on. We can and should be buying their stuff. I've had aspiring writer friends self-publish a book, and I bought it. I've had other friends start a t-shirt company, and I purchased one of those too. Another bro started a landscaping company, so I put a yard in the living room of my apartment. Just kidding. But Pastor Brandon Lansdowne has started a coffee company, and I know you all drink coffee. So if you want to do more than just believe in sovereignty, but help a man create it, go and buy some of Brandon's coffee beans today. Because woke corporations won't just let us go on their own. Starbucks is not magically going to say, it's all right, you can stop buying our stuff. No, they'll just slow the woke down so they'll go broke a little slower. Meanwhile, you're supporting a feminist, globalist, godless corporation when you could be helping a good man build prosperity and sovereignty for his home, family, and community. And since he's a godly man, a pastor, that means you're helping him build the kingdom too. That is why I'm thrilled to have Brandon Lansdowne and Reformation Coffee as my sponsor. Supporting his company is an expression of my social, cultural, economic, political, and even theological values. I also love their Guatemala roast. I see this as an absolute win. So if you want to be part of this, head to ReformationCoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE and you'll get one free bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. Again, head to ReformationCoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE and you'll get one free bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. And don't miss the start of Reformation May next week with my first guest, where you can join me while I reform my coffee. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you. Yeah, and I think the, the thing that re- really stands out about the way that you say these things is it's you're very sincere. And there's a way that a lot of Christians, new, old, et cetera, can kind of learn to speak Christianese is the term yeah. that I've heard. You know, it's like you say things, oh, glory to God, where it's like, it's kind of thrown out in conversation and, 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 and maybe it's sincere sort of like conceptually, but to really feel people when they say it in their hearts, like, no, this really is for the glory of God and not for my own glory to feel that level of groundedness. It's really rare these days from, from anyone. And, uh, and I think it, it can particularly be rare for Christians because they're learning to step into this position of responsibility where you have to get there. If you can't get to that spot within yourself, you really recognize that the reason that you're doing this thing, whatever this awesome responsibility is, is for the glory of God. If you can't get there, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. And when you avoid that level, and and I hope that this is giving peace to the the hearts of of men and women who are listening that, especially Christians, and for those strongly considering Christianity, I hope you're listening closely as well. You know, to get to this place where it's like this awesome responsibility has been placed on you. In your case, it's influence on social media. In other people's cases, it might be the CEO of a company or, or raising a large family. It can be any, any, anything that you think is of an awesome responsibility. To, the way that you carry that, I think, is to say this is for the glory of God, and then it sits more easily. The yoke sits more easily on your life. And it's like, I don't have to worry because I, I, I give it all the glory to God, and I don't have to worry about as, mu- uh, as much about finding my own strength. 
And, and I think that's a very powerful idea. It's, it's profoundly grounding to me as I, as I think through what you're saying. Dude, it, it is a very powerful idea and it is extremely grounding. And, and as the scriptures tell us, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. You know, mm-hmm. like I, bro, that's like my, my life in the past month <laughs> with all the freaking like nuclear bombs that went off all over the place yeah. in my personal life. It, dude, it's, it's, I, I've, never had a more stressful period of time in my entire life. I've been through some serious stuff in my life, yeah. but like I've never been more stressed out than I've been in this past month and I've been stretched so far beyond my capacity and like it was it was really tripping me out for a few weeks, but I got to this point where I was like, "Okay, Lord, like you you clearly put me in this position. I've tried as hard as I can to you know, make all of these different things happen. And you've stonewalled me, you've stonewalled me on all of these things, Lord, for a reason. And it's my job to just trust that you have me here for a reason and, and do my best every day and just leave God the rest, right? It's, it's, it is my job to do my best and leave God the rest. And I know that like, I can, I can have faith in the, 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 the challenging position that God has put me in right now. I know that he's working. I don't know how he's working or how he's going to use it for his glory, but like all of the hardship that he's introduced to my plate, all of the challenges, all of the like, you know, sadness, just everything that like got introduced into my life in the past month. I'm just, I'm like finding peace in the fact that like, okay, God has me here for a reason. And all I can do is just do my best and just leave everything else to him. And that is where I know that is where his strength will be made manifest. That is where his strength will show itself because I can, I can work as hard as I possibly can to make X, Y, and Z happen. But if I just like have faith in God that he's going to take care of the rest, like I know that like he can do infinitely more than I can of my own grit and will and all of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you just, you, your life proved that you just, you went on this podcast and a few clips you know, went viral. Like we don't make our own clips go nuclear viral. That's that's a, that's an act of God. Now, people who don't have God who try to make you want to get schizo for a second. We can we Let's can do it. it. Okay. So I think people who don't have God to take to take them that you know millimeter that takes them from you know nobody to somebody. Right. The people who try to force that process, I think they have to make deals with people who control the levers and 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 make it happen for them. So I think it's ultimately a spiritual thing that that takes someone to that scale, but it's either an act of God or an act of something that is very much not God. Because I don't know that you can force yourself to go viral to that same degree. That's got to happen through some spiritual, we'll call it spiritual force in some way. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. And you, you hear about this all the time in like the entertainment industry or like yeah. the music industry, all of these like rappers and artists and like actors who, you know, they talk about how they made a deal with the devil in oh, order so to so many uh, people. Yeah, dude, and like that's that's real like Satan is the god of this world and and you yeah. know y- Yahweh our our heavenly father blessed be his name like he is the god of the universe and people you know people can make deals with the devil but like I think the greatest deal that we can make with God is a deal to just like to just serve him and be like hey lord like I'm here send me you know yeah. if if it is your will send me um yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a series by um, Pastor Joe Schimmel by Good Fight Ministries called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll link it in the show notes. And I'm not sure how many it is. It's at least 20, maybe 30 or more 
different videos about uh, on YouTube about famous rock stars, pop stars, etc., all talking about how they sold their souls. They all say the, almost those exact words, right? It doesn't matter. Bob Dylan, Katy Perry, you know, uh, Ariana Grande, you name it, like Jenner, Elvis, like going all the way back and forward, Rolling Stones, wow. forward in time. And it's, you watch it, it's like, this is, this is a real thing, or they believe it's a real thing, right? Like this is, they're not saying like, I prayed to God, or, you know, they don't talk about sin, repentance, or Jesus Christ. They say, I sold my soul, or they talk about a story. Like um, um, Nina Simone, if you, uh, everyone listening, go look up the song Sinner Man. Everyone's heard the song Sinner Man. Go look up the lyrics to Sinner Man. I'm not even going to tell you what's in them, but you will find her telling this same story. It shows up over and over again. And all these, and then you see Sam Smith was at the Grammys, you know, with all this satanic imagery. Like, how can you say that this doesn't have some reality? So that it doesn't tie, okay, so maybe it doesn't tie to some spiritual reality in your perspective, but they seem to believe it's pretty real. They're pretty committed to this. So, so how can other people say it's not real? Well, they think it's real and they're the ones doing it. 100%, bro. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, it's my, my favorite example is uh, what Alex Jones uncovered at the Bohemian Grove in like oh, the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s, right? Like he infiltrates the Bohemian Grove and captures like footage and photos of them performing effigy rituals to Moloch out there in the woods, right? And people can say, oh yeah, like all, all of this like demon stuff, all the Satan stuff, it's not, it's not real. Well, the greatest trick the devil ever, ever pulled was, was convincing the world he doesn't exist. And Thanks, Kevin Spacey embodying that. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, like, you know, you can believe that it doesn't exist if you're a secular person, but like the elites, like they take it very seriously. And with, with the ritual that they perform to Moloch at the Bohemian Grove, like, like, bro, this is the same deity that, that mm-hmm. God was telling the Israelites not to worship in the Old Testament freaking 5,000 years ago. You know, these, yeah. these deities have been around for a long time. Look at the new statue that was just erected, I think, on top of the Supreme Court building in, uh, was it New York? Right, it's like a statue oh. of like Ishtar or this like ancient demon goddess or whatever. Like yeah. these people take this stuff really, really seriously uh, because there is a spiritual war that is raging all around us, and th- these are the physical manifestations that we're seeing it and um, we're seeing of it. And uh, yeah, I don't, you know, if people don't want to believe in it, that's fine. Uh, it's it's real. Yeah. I'm I'm going to keep the sword of the spirit readily in hand to uh, continue doing battle as best as I possibly can against all of it because ultimately it has massive implications and consequences for the future of humanity and that's that's my job as a Christian man is is to do what I can to put on the armor of God and as it says in Ephesians six to make my to make my stand against the devil's schemes right that's mm-hmm. that's our job as Christian men to make our stand against the devil's schemes. Yeah, I don't know that Christians really have an option whether to believe this stuff or not, right? Like, it might be really uncomfortable to look at evil. Like, here's how I define evil, and this is surely not the only definition, but this is how I've defined it. Evil is doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, right? Like, like if you're going to, if, if the right thing is, if, if good is doing the right thing for the, the right thing the right way for the right reasons, then evil would be doing the wrong thing because you know it's wrong, because you want to cause someone pain and suffering, because you derive some sort of pleasure or benefit out of it. Not because you don't know that it's wrong. I didn't know that was wrong. But because you do know that it's wrong and because you derive advantage over somebody, power or pleasure or whatever from doing it, from specifically causing them pain and harm. 
How can you say that that's not real on earth? You can't. Like most people will never meet someone like that, or at least they won't know if they meet someone like that. And, you know, and, and praise God that you don't, that you don't, but those people are undoubtedly out there. So if those people are out there that do the wrong thing because it's the wrong thing, because they derive benefit or pleasure from doing the wrong thing, then that's a definition of evil. And you cannot say that that doesn't exist. Now, you might be able to argue that it doesn't tie to some supernatural reality, but if you're Christian, you know that it does. You don't have a choice, right? <laughs> like That's why Christ came, right? What, who, who was he coming to defeat? Evil, death, right? That's the whole point of the thing. Satan, Lucifer, garden, like all this stuff, that's all part of the story. I don't think, think, think that stuff is real. Well, maybe you should. Maybe that gives meaning and weight and purpose to the whole thing, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, I would also, that was, was a fantastic description of evil. And I would also a- add on to that too. People can, can unwittingly do evil as well. <laughs> right? Like, I think another way that I would define evil to add on to your definition is like, people will do, man has wickedness embedded in his nature. And he doesn't, he does, he oftentimes doesn't realize it. And one of the ways in which it manifests is when we pursue like our own desires and we end up, we end up harming others in the process, right? So like one, one obvious example in the context, (coughs) in the context of dating is, uh, premarital sex, right? Mm. Like I know, I know so many guys who they're just, they're just running through women right? They're just, they're fornicating with so many women and it's alpha, bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's so alpha. It's so alpha to like, you know, have, have sex with a girl and to take a piece of her heart and to not care about it and to leave her damaged in the wake of, of your fornication with her. It's so, so alpha, you know, it's, it's like this, that for example, it leaves a wake of destruction in the world. Um, and like, yeah, I just I think a lot of people they accidentally leave destruction by pursuing their own selfish desires. And this is this is something that I've like, you know, 3 years ago in in my last relationship I realized that in the process of of fornicating with my girlfriend back in 2019 I realized I was sinning against her. I was sinning against my own body and I was sinning against God. And yeah. I knew that I wasn't going to get married to her, but you know, we continued to have sex and I knew that I was like damaging her for the future because of the bond that she had with me. And that like when the, the, the weight and the gravity of that sin, like it struck me and I was like, this is really not good. I need to stop doing this. And I was a Christian at the time, but I wasn't, you know, really serious about my walk with Christ. And like, that was like, I realized my actions in that relationship were evil, even though I loved this girl. And like, I didn't want to cause her any harm. I was perpetuating evil in my own life and in her life by doing that. And I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's just one example of how people can unintentionally um, do evil to add on to your definition. For sure, for sure. And, and to put, the, to put the two, these two halves of the definition together, there's a book that I've been talking about a lot, and I think people should read it. It's called Libido Dominandi by Professor E. Michael Jones. And when you read the 250-year history of the of sexual liberation or the sexual revolution, and you see that it was specifically used as a batter a battering ram to tear down Western Christian values. Period. That is why you see that 
you're participating, maybe, maybe we're participating in evil unwittingly because we don't know the scale of evil that we're participating in. We just think we're having, having fun with our girlfriends or couples think they're just, this is just what people do, but you don't see, none of us see that we're caught up in this big wave of evil that's washed over civilization, like a tidal wave over the past, especially the past 60 years, but you know, really over the past 250 years has, has it been cultivated and we're just washed away in it. And so now the oddest thing is that people like you and so many other men and, and women are popping their heads up, like swimming to the surface, being like, that was a really bad idea. And the pushback that's coming when you say that, like, hey, I think this premarital sex thing is a bad idea. Dudes in this space get real angry. They get really angry. It's kind of shocking to see like, hey, maybe you should preserve your, your physical sexual integrity for your wife. Hey, maybe women should pervert, preserve their physical sexual integrity for their husbands. Nah, bro, that's so beta. Such a cuck, bro. Like, wait, what? What? And you're calling yourself a leader of men? Like, what? Totally agree. Yeah, to add on to that. So, <clears throat> so I feel like there's this like false dichotomy that's been presented in our culture. Mm-hmm. It feels, it feels, maybe this is too schizo of me, but it feels carefully engineered. Yeah, I agree. There's this like false dichotomy in our culture that has been pushed on the masses, especially in the past few years of like, you can either be like the incel loser (laughs) or you can be like the alpha Andrew Tate type who like Mm -hmm. is just, just balling out and like fornicating with women and and living like the most worldly life. Like a, a lot of young men in particular, they're looking at the world and they see those as like the two options that they're presented with. Right. Yes. And neither of those options are good, right? It's not, it's not good for uh, a man to be involuntarily celibate, right? It's not, it's not good for a man to not be attractive to women, not be an inspiring leader, not be um, someone who can be, who, who can be fruitful and multiply in the world. Cause we know that that is a good thing in God's eyes for men to do that. Uh, and it's, it's not good for a man to be living this like hedonist lifestyle where he's running through women and leaving them broken and damaged in their wake, right? Neither of these two mm-hmm. things are good. And I think, you know, people will say, oh, it's not cool to like, uh, avoid or, or it's not cool to refrain from fornicating with women or whatever. And to that, I would respond with, a. uh, uh, uh a third angle to the paradigm that like I, I would really like to introduce to our culture, right? So you've got this concept of like the alpha male and you've got this concept of the incel. One of my friends proposed this idea to me recently of like the omega male, right? Mm. So <coughs> Jesus, he said he is the alpha and the omega, right? And the omega, mm. the omega meaning end, the beginning and the end, right? And if the alpha male is almost like the Andrew Tate hedonist uh, manosphere archetype, I think the omega male is like the antidote to that, which is the omega male, in, in my opinion, he is the man who like, he can get laid by a bunch of women if he wants to, but he chooses not to because he has the end goal in mind, which is the glory of God, right? And I think that the, the, true, the truly cool move and this entire culture war that we're in is not to run through a bunch of women and show off all of your hot girlfriends all over social media and this hedonistic lifestyle that you're living. I think the truly cool move is to be the kind of leader who steps up to the plate and is like, I'm going to be responsible with the, the power and authority that I've been given. 
I'm going to uh, find one really good woman and I'm going to commit to her and build the best family, the strongest family that I possibly can with her. I'm going to honor God with my actions and my power and influence. And I'm going to take steps to restore this civilization that is being destroyed by all of these satanic forces, right? Like what could be more alpha than a guy who uh, is actually a leader that, that helps heal and rebuild civilization for everybody else, right? It's not alpha to like run through a bunch of women and, and, and like contribute to increasing divorce rates because you're fornicating with a bunch of girls and leaving them alpha widowed. Like that's not, that's not cool. That's not like a sick leader thing to do. The sick leader thing to do, in my opinion, like what I'm striving for is like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I want to find a beautiful, godly wife who I can join forces with. We can build, we can build a family together. She can support me in my mission to serve the kingdom of God. We can have as many kids as possible. And like Psalm 100, one, chapter 127, verse four says, you know, the, the children of a man's youth are like arrows in the hands of a warrior right? How much, how much cooler would it be for a bunch of men out there to raise strong, godly, virtuous families and then to, to, to repopulate the West with just epic, epic kids and, and progeny and offspring and then to send them out into the world to reclaim territory for the kingdom of God. I think that's like the coolest thing that a guy could possibly do in the situation that we're in. And I think, I think we need yeah. far more men like that and I think that the enemy is trying to do everything he possibly can to stop that from happening and to entice men into pursuing this false form of masculinity that is based in hedonism and the pursuit of your own pleasures. Like that's, that's like to fall into that, it's not cool to get psyoped by Satan into just being a degenerate. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, right. it's, it's cool to be like a mighty and fruitful warrior for the Lord, in my opinion. Absolutely agree. I, I couldn't agree more strongly because I, I think that um, a lot of people are like, well, Andrew Tate, he's so based, like he's criticizing the matrix, bro. It's like he's participating and celebrating the matrix because the matrix draws its power from sexual liberation, fornication and materialism. So yeah. Okay, cool. Congratulations. You, you called out, I don't know, the jab you called out like wickedness in high places. I got a book that does that too, but that doesn't advocate for feeding into some of the core dynamics that fuel this globalized system. Like, like make a bunch of money, spend a bunch of money, bang a bunch of chicks, criticizing the systems. Like you, whatever you might be saying with your mouth, you're not doing with your life, right? And so what you're talking about is the real challenge to the system, is the real challenge to the sinful system. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, cite Pastor Doug Wilson again here, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Mm. Glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. I love that definition because what could be more self-sacrificial than being a young man with charged up with testosterone and hormones that's telling you, your body is telling you to fornicate all over the place, right? To be fruitful and multiply. That's the godly impulse. And instead, you're going to sacrifice that impulse, that instinct, that sinful instinct, you're going to give that to one woman and use it to produce fruit for the kingdom. Sat willing assumption of sacrificial responsibility versus going out and running through a bunch of girls. That's masculinity, not what's being sold to men. I don't care how based you know, the things that he says is, because you're saying things that are equally based 
right? But you're rooting them in God. And there's a very important difference between the two. There's a hugely significant difference. And a lot of people aren't willing to articulate that difference, probably because they want influence and they want power and they want to climb the greasy pole and so they don't want to ruffle any feathers. It's like, God came to ruffle a bunch of feathers. Yeah. Let's do that. And let's live in a, let's live and speak in a, actually, let's not just speak in a godly way. Let's live in a godly way and let our life be our testimony. And 100%. that I think is more powerful than anything. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I would, I would also add on to that, Will, too, like, you know, for the guys that look at like that hedonistic path and whatnot, <clears throat> man, once, once you've seen what's available on the godly path, to me at yeah. least, it's so much more enticing. Like, which, which sounds better, you know, sleeping with a bunch of hot women that like won't be submissive wives who like want to glorify God and rear you amazing kids or to partner with a woman who you can make the journey to heaven with, who like really, really loves you and is extremely committed to you and who like prays for you and who like is, is committed to, to going through thick and thin with you and who like wants to bear your children and like bring a godly family into the world and who wants to support you in your mission. Like there's like, like, I feel like the whole like casual sex thing, dude, it's like, it's like just playing in the appetizer section at, at, at the, when God has this entire feast that he's prepared that you could participate in instead, you know, like, yeah, I, I, uh, I was talking to a woman the past couple months and, you know, we, we, uh, we started to get to know each other really, really well. And we were talking about marriage and stuff and she's just like, just the most amazing girl. And the process of speaking to her showed me what, what could be available in marriage. And, yeah. and, and I feel, I feel very fortunate to, to have, have gotten to know her because in the process of speaking with one another, she showed me this entire other aspect of femininity that is so rare in the world, which is like, like there are women out there who like, Dude, like they, they would go through thick and thin with you. They're, they would be there to support you and to cheer you on in your mission and to like tend to your wounds as you're doing battle in the world and like who, who want nothing more than to make the journey to the kingdom of heaven with you and to, to, to claim wins for the kingdom with you in this life, man. And like that, there's so much more meaning in that. There's so yeah. much more meaning in a relationship like that with, with a beautiful, godly woman than with, you know, just, just a, a worldly woman that you're going to fornicate with and that you're not going to go the distance with or who might uh, not have the virtues necessary to, to go the distance with you in marriage. Like that's, it's just like, like now that my eyes have been open to that and the fact that women like that actually exist out there, I'm like, bro, that's, that's like, it's so much more amazing and enticing yeah. to me. And, and I you think know? a lot of people... Um, I don't think they're willing to be honest about just how gross the life of degeneracy is, right? I, I, I think that they they want to celebrate it to rationalize it to themselves, like, oh, I've got this huge notch notch count or whatever, whatever the men do, and it's like, but but I think they're they're deceiving themselves about how much they're actually in, enjoying that. Let's say on a on a deep kind of soul level, and and they rationalize it to themselves by posturing big out in the world while knowing that the the experience that you're describing is completely alien to them but they're but they're made they're made in the image of god so they still long for it right they still they still want it but they can never have it and this is where the cognitive dissonance of the whole red pill manosphere world starts to kick in is when you point out like hey if you as a man have been living a life of kind of fornication and you're just kind of expecting that this godly woman is going to show up there magically at the end if you don't repent like 
you're living in a fantasy land. And guys yeah. react so strongly to that. It's kind of it's kind of funny if it weren't so sad. Yeah. Yeah. And like with the whole notch count thing, like one one realization I had is I was like, it's not really a flex if at the end of your life, you know, you've you had a bunch of women under your belt, but you don't have like a family that loves you and like an incredible wife that loves you and a bunch of grandkids, you know. Like I think yeah. I think the bigger flex is to like to be 80 years old, man. And to have, you know, a wife, a beautiful wife that I can still crack jokes with on the front porch and a bunch of kids who really love us. And like to have like 50 to 100 grandkids and great grandkids in your family, that's like the craziest flex ever. You know what I mean? Like what, what could be greater than that? And, uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's like the feast that, that, that God wants for us to participate in. You know, it's, that is, that is his, his vision for us in being fruitful and multiplying. And I really want it to come back in style. I really want it to become cool again, you know, like yeah. so badly. And it's, it's good for the world too, man. Like, like that's the thing. All, all of our, our opposition that we're up against, you know, the, the, these are people who we have a real opportunity here. Our opposition that we're up against they're going to be eating the fake meat. They're yeah. shooting they're shooting themselves up with these experimental gene therapies that are leaving a lot of them sterile. They're opting out of uh uh having kids because of climate change or whatever the latest psyop is, right? Like they they're, yeah. they're like anti-natalist in their approach towards the world. And our side, there's so many people who want to save the west. Our side has a real opportunity here because it's like what if instead of doing any of that stuff, we just like had the best, biggest godly families that we possibly could. And we were committed to raising them really effectively. And we just repopulated the West with godly, virtuous people. What if we all did that? I mean, bro, we could, we could retake Western civilization within the next 50 to a hundred years, you know, Absolutely. That, that, that would be pretty dope. I'd, I'd like to do that. <laughs> yeah, sign me up, man. I, I completely agree. It's like I want to give a shout out to um to my friend Nate Spearing. You know, he uh I, I host a conference series, the Ren of Men Digital Conference series, and he gave one of the talks. He gave the first talk ever, and he was talking about how exactly what you're what you're describing. Now, now Nate was a high-level special forces operator, Ranger Battalion, and a bunch of other stuff that he went into, like one of the most elite guys within within the US military, and he talked about his background. He did all the cool dude James Bond stuff and he showed pictures and he has receipts, right? And so this is like this. He waited for his wedding to lose his virginity as well. He wow. carried that into marriage, walking through the elite special forces of the military. And he, he got out of the military and now he's got five kids and lives on a bunch of land. He's doing the exact thing that you're describing. Bro, he's and living he, the he, life. He is living the life. And so, and so, and he's, he's one of the godliest men that I know, one of the hardest working men that I know. I'm, I'm very honored to call him a friend and he's been a big support to me over these past, over the past year or so. And, and so what you're describing is real and men are living it and they're finding levels of fulfillment that they never could in the secular world because the secular world doesn't offer it. How many of these people that are promoting uh, fornication, premarital sex, you know, notch counts, et cetera. How many of them come from broken homes? Yeah. How many of them come from intact families? Probably none of them. They've never seen an intact family. They probably wouldn't know what it lo- a happy intact family. They probably wouldn't know what it looked like if it came up and bit them in the rear end. And so meanwhile, there are guys out there actually doing the thing. And it's like, yeah, maybe it's not like cool and glamorous. You know, maybe you're saving up for, for, 
kid's education for another house and you're not buying a, a Bugatti or whatever, but this is godliness. And that's a whole different level of fulfillment that's so alien to the secular world. But I think if we can continue pushing this idea in, into the secular world, they can begin to see the light again, that there's something here that we've lost. Let's try going that way because this way hasn't been working. 100%, man. But yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And that's one of the things that's like evident to me about the situation that we're in. And this is why I, I really like try to push what God has to offer so much is because there's a lot of people out there who are hungering and thirsting for what's true and righteous and good, man. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hungry people out there that are looking for the bread of life, you know, and Christ, Christ and his, his blueprint for how we ought to live, which is the word of God, like that, that has the fulfillment that so many people are looking for. And this has become so evident to me over the past 10 years, as I've been reading through the word and pursuing God and like, that's that's the amazing position that we're in as Christians, especially is that like we've we've found the bread of life, we found the living waters, and in yeah. a world full of hungry and thirsty people, like we can we can lead them to that true sustenance. And f- for all the people that are out there desperately searching for truth, they can they can tell that something's off. Like a lot of things are really off, and it's it's hard for them to put their finger on it because they're not rooted in the Word. They don't know God, like we have an answer for them. We have an answer for why you see all these like satanic elites and actors and and musicians performing these crazy rituals to Satan at the Grammys. We have an answer to why the home is so broken. We have an answer to how to find peace in a world that is full of chaos. We have, we have so many answers and, uh, that puts us in an incredible uh, position as as Christians to to feed the masses with this, you know, and I'm excited to keep doing it. I'm excited to be doing it with you right now, man. Like I, I hope yeah. that like somebody listens to this and they're like, dang, like, man, that really resonated. Like I, I'm gonna pray after this podcast that this this really hits home for people. Um, and I would like to ask you too, Will. Like, please, you yeah. know, we talked about this before the podcast. Please tell me about your your mission with Renaissance of Men and you know how I can support you and how we can support you because it's. Yeah, it's. I watched your YouTube video that you sent me yesterday. It was it was phenomenal, oh, uh, and I, I want to know more about what you're doing. Yeah, the um. So for, for those listening, that um, Chase is talking about the um the uh, use your suffering video that I I did with uh, Rewire the West episode five of the five part series, and I'll I'll link that in the show notes. I'm very proud of that. Um, and thank you. You should be. Thank you, thank you. I mean, as we were talking about yesterday, you know, it came out of a time of my own intense suffering. Where in a, in a very short period of time, and about a year ago now, um, you know, I, I I lost my best friend and a whole bunch of a whole bunch of other men went with him, and uh, I got slandered in private, and and then in public by a, a, a professional colleague who continues to do that to this day, um, who continues to say horrible things about me uh, in in public on Twitter and then in private as well, and they get back to me, and it's it sucks because I, I I cared about him as well. And then another man went with him who I was friends with also. Um, and that came out of nowhere. And then uh, a girl broke up with me and that all happened in the course of about a week or two. And it really, it really brought me to my knees out of nowhere. None of these things seemed to be related at all. And I had to kind of build myself back up from there. And, um, and with God's help, I was able to do that. And for those of you who've listened to the podcast before, 
that was what the C.S. Lewis space trilogy that came into my life and really spoke healing back into my life at that time. And, and that's where the Rewire the West video came from as well, was being able to take my own suffering that I was going through at the time, like, God, why is this happening? Why are these people being taken from my life? Why are these things going on? It was really to humble me and, and to have me lean into God as, um, as you've been doing as well, Chase. So thank you for watching that. I'm very glad that it blessed you because, as I said, yesterday um what can we do with pain besides make beauty out of it <laughs> right what else are we going to do with it right um yeah it, re- it it really hit home for me yesterday i was i was having a hard day yesterday and it, it really hit home so thank you i i actually i really appreciate um i really appreciate hearing that because i i did very much want to speak into men's and women's lives and, and communicate the message that i think is really essential for people to hear that your pain does have meaning and it doesn't need to be medicated away with food or porn or video games, you know, or social media or all the things that are available to us today. And that, and that there is a religion and a faith that testifies very boldly uh, to, to the necessity of suffering and uh, for transformation, personal and collective. And so as, as you had shared with me that you were going through quite a lot, um, I'm, I'm glad that it, I was very blessed that it was able to minister to you as, as God had ministered to me through my own time of crisis. Yeah, no, absolutely. But to get back to the original question, oh, yeah. please tell me. Please, that's okay. Please, sure. please tell me about your mission with Renaissance of Men. Oh, okay. So, um, so I started, um, I started studying masculinity. I guess you'd say about uh, twenty or so years ago, um, in in a class that I took on Carl Jung, and uh, there was a portion of the class uh, about how the Lord of the Ring, what the Lord of the Rings has to say about masculinity. And I realized in that moment that I had grown up a very thoughtful, kind of quiet, very good at school. You know, that was, that was, those were the values of my family. And I saw this image of masculinity that was projected, projected out there in the world of pizza and football and beer and all these things. And I was like, that's not me. And that's what I'm being told masculinity is. And I'm not that. There must be something broken about me. That's what I thought. And through taking this class, I realized there's nothing broken about me at all. That I'm just I'm made in my own I'm made in my own kind of man. I wouldn't have used this language, but made in the image of God, and it's it's okay for me to be that, and I don't have to fit into this other mold. And so that got me started uh, on this journey of trying to understand what is masculinity in in my life and in the world in general. And that kind of uh, took shape over the course of about 13 years, just kind of casually, until I discovered the Mankind Project in 2013. And so the Mankind Project, um, I don't know if they're still running retreats, but they run weekend men's initiations. And so that initiation uh, that I went through was transformative for me because uh, an initiation is something that's missing from our society right now. An initiation to me is a moment where you have to reach deep within yourself and higher than yourself to accomplish a task that you can fail at. And and Mm. if you succeed at it, you are acknowledged by the men in your tribe that you are now a man with the responsibilities of manhood. And I succeeded mm. in my initiation, and I watched 50 other men succeed in their initiations of all different ages, from you know, 17, 18 years old up into their 70s. And I looked around at all these men, who were many of whom were nothing like me at all, some guys who were at the very rock bottom of their lives, young dudes who had, had not really gone out into the world but were looking for something. And I realized that all of these guys have just done the same initiation and they're all very different men. Masculinity is way more complicated than I realized. And so, um, and that set me on another journey where I, I traveled around the world um, for uh, about four years from 2016 to 2020, 
testing myself, sailing, mountain climbing, all different uh, spiritual practices. And it was during that time that I discovered the manosphere. And mm. the manosphere sort of took all that, that, there was all this inner work stuff that was done in the men's initiation. And the manosphere was very focused on fitness, personal finance, and, uh, and really feminism. And I looked at these two halves of, uh, of what men were talking about, inner work, emotion, feeling, intuition, you know, grief, and then outer work of fitness and finance and, and politics. I'm like, these two, these two guys are not really talking to each other very much, but they have things to learn from each other. And so I started the Renaissance of Men because what I really wanted to do was I wanted to show other men and women that there's this conversation happening about masculinity that's been going on for 40 years. So you and I are having mm. this conversation right now. But when you mm -hmm. look to when men first started trying to understand masculinity, it was all the way back in the 80s uh, and, and, and like the early 80s and the mid 80s with Robert Bly and his book, Iron John, and this video uh, called The Gathering of Men that really touched off all of this interest in masculinity just as it was starting to come under social attack. And it evolved through the 90s and the mythopoetic men's movement, then into the pickup era, then into the manosphere, then into the sovereignty movement, which is now concluding. And now it's all culminating and really climaxing in this way with a rediscovery of Christ, of, of fatherhood, family, Christian faith, and fidelity. Let's go. Yes. And so right now, you and me are on this ride, riding this leading edge wave of this rebirth or this renaissance of, uh, of men, where men are being reborn into the world anew in response to changing cultural conditions. So that is the whole story of the renaissance of men arriving back in Christ. It is God's story that's being told through different phases, leading everyone back to him, showing all the different wrong answers so we can finally find the right answer. So the mission of the renaissance of men is to illustrate that entire conversation. Thank you for explaining that. And bro, it is so good to be riding this wave on yeah. the, the frontier back towards Christ with you, man. Like this Thank is, you. yeah, wow. I, it's just, it's, you gave, you kind of just gave me like a bird's eye view of history and how we've arrived where we are right now. And it's, I'm, I'm just like so struck and honored to be here having this conversation with you and to just be a part of this like whole this thing that God is doing in the world, man. Like it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Like God, God is moving so powerfully in the world right now. And at a scale that is beyond what I'm capable of fathoming. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm struck right now, especially just by how honored I feel to be here, man. Thank you for explaining that. How can we support you in this mission? Uh, well, I've, <laughs> I've got a documentary film project that I've been working on about it. Um, in 2021, when I first started the Renaissance of Men as a, as a podcast, I, I, um, I had the idea, uh, the idea had me of producing a documentary about it because I understood that the, the movement was so complicated and there were so many moving pieces that I couldn't possibly, um, that I couldn't possibly tell the whole story simply in podcasts alone. So, um, so uh, I was coming up with the Renaissance of Men brand and I was writing, you know, the Renaissance of Men is going to, you know, is, is going to interview as I was brainstorming the podcast and the brand, uh, the thought leaders and authors and content creators. And then I wrote documentarians and I froze. I'm like, I'm making a documentary. Okay. I knew, I knew about photography. I have a, a, a travel photo background. So I knew it wouldn't be that hard. And, and so as I started the Renaissance of Men, I started the, working on the documentary. In 2021, 
I went on a cross country road trip, 108 days, 14,000 miles, and uh, and filmed something like 25 25 different leaders. And so I've been working wow. on that behind the scenes because I think the story of the Renaissance of Men really has to be told visually because it has been going on for so long. And it has been right. a 40-year-long conversation. The rush that you're feeling right now is because all these men who are talking about masculinity, they feel themselves very siloed. They feel like, okay, I, I'm, I'm just doing this on my own. In reality, and what it is, is it's like if a whole bunch of men were standing in a circle with their backs to each other, like shouting about, about masculinity at the world. And so I'm, I'm a little bit like in a helicopter, like, hey guys, turn around and like get them all to turn around. It's like, oh, we're all here doing the same thing. And there have been guys doing it for 40 years. Let's go. That's the feeling. And that's what I hope to illustrate with the documentary. So when are you coming out with it? Well, I, I, um, when, I, when I set out to film the documentary, um, it was going to be a two-hour, just a two-hour project, right? Which, uh, which I was able to self-finance. But in the process of filming it, I met with Alison Armstrong, who's been on my podcast a couple of times and became a friend. And she said, you know, it's easier to get people to uh, watch a 45-minute video and then they'll binge watch eight hours than it is to get them to commit to a two-hour documentary. And I said, that's a really good point. So she convinced me to turn it into a series, a multi-part series. Um, but uh, producing a multi-part series is outside of my my ability uh, to do. So um, so I've been ra- trying to raise money to complete production since then, and that's been that's been a that's been a struggle. That's been a journey. And if if people that are listening to this want to financially support that project, how can they do so? Um, I've been trying to get it financed exclusively behind the scenes with with interested and wealthy individuals uh, who want to see a rebirth of masculinity in society. I haven't made anything available to the public, but I certainly can if people, I can set up a, a Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something like that. If people want to want to chip in, it, it's definitely, you talk about, you talk about feeling stonewalled and things that you're working on. That has very much been the case, been the case with this, like trying to tell a wonderful story and, and looking for people who want to support it for sure. But I can definitely set up uh, the ability for public, the public to get involved for sure. Yeah, and I, I would I would say two things to that. One, it would be a good idea to just set up a Bitcoin wallet and be like, hey, you know, if any wealthy idea. Bitcoin benefactors or patrons want to support this project, you can just send Bitcoin to this address. Two, I'm going to be praying for Kingdom Finances for that project for you. Mm-hmm. I would I would also encourage you to pray for that same thing. And as well, uh, you know, anybody who's watching, if they can't afford to financially support the project, that they pray for it as well. Um, because, you know, again, of course, man, you know, to, to reiterate what I was talking about with John chapter 15, Jesus promised, like, if, if you ask for anything in my name and it's to the father's glory, I will do it. Right. And like, if this project is to the father's glory, you know, we can, we can rest assured that praying for those kingdom finances to support it, you know, they'll be made available. And if they're not, for whatever reason, God is using this time for other purposes, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, Prayer, man, it's it's a powerful thing, dude. I always yeah. I always try to uh, remind people of it, and I, I'm sure you're familiar with its power. But like, just as a great reminder for everybody that's listening too, like I, dude, I, I have seen my prayers answered by God in the mm. craziest ways over the years, man. Where I prayed for something very specific, and then God delivered exactly that thing when I least expected it in the craziest way where I'm just like sitting back looking at it like, wow, you really heard those prayers and like answered it with perfect precision. So 
I'm going to, I'm going to be praying for that, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'll make, I'll make a video public. That's all about the history of the Renaissance that I produced to help finance the documentary, but it's, it's a 20 minute long video um, of, of what the Renaissance of men is and really where it came from, because the, the Renaissance of men began in the eighties, but there was about a hundred years of history prior to that, that led to the start of the Renaissance. And I call it the war on masculinity, which began with the industrial revolution when fathers were taken out of the home, when they were taken out of the home and forced to work in factories. And that began a series of, of waves of, of, uh, of cultural and political offensives on men. There was a war on men's bodies, which was the World War I, World War II era. Then the baby boomers, there was a war on men, on men's minds, right? And then there was a war on uh, men's hearts, right? Because if you can break down, if you can break down a man's mind, his body, and you can weaken him, as World War II, 25 million soldiers died in between World War I, 25 or 35 million between World War I and World War II. Incalculable loss of the best and brightest men. And so the men who came back, you know, they, they had shell shock, what we would call PTSD. These were the baby boomers' fathers. Like my dad was so angry or abusive or whatever. He was watching John Wayne. Like your father got almost blown up in war. He saw his buddies blown up or gassed or drowned or whatever. It's like, yeah, he was probably pretty messed up, but there was no language to describe it. So these are the baby boomers' fathers who were so weakened by war, leaving the baby boomers' minds exposed, Right. And so when you wage war on men's bodies, then you successfully wage war on men's minds. If you break both of those down, you have men's hearts are exposed. And Proverbs, right? Guard, guard your heart for from it flow the springs of life. And they finally succeeded in breaking men's hearts by telling them women don't need them anymore. Boys should be girls and men's hearts are breaking. And so that's why you have this epidemic of suicide. And as that was finally culminating you know, coming into the 1980s as baby boomers were becoming fathers and they were starting to really manipulate Gen X and millennials, um, this conversation started like, what does it mean to be a man? And it, the conversation started in the secular world, right? In, in the forests, right? With, you know, trying to exclude Christian spirituality, trying to get back to young and the archetypes, but that's where it needed to be. And it's gone on this 40-year journey since then where men are trying to find, where do I root my masculinity? Where I can really plant it where the, the infirm foundations, and you can't do it in evolution. Like we're, you can't root masculinity or values in, in the idea that we're a cosmic accident, right? And then the elites just say, well, we're evolving anyway into transhumanists now, so it doesn't even matter. You have to root it to something transcendent. And that's why ultimately the only place that any conversation about masculinity will go has to be in Christ, has to be in Amen. God. Because he invented Amen. men, he created men and women to begin with. So it must go back to him. So it's absolutely, absolutely for the kingdom. He's, he's the, author, the great author and finisher of all things. And, and I, I do want to say, and the most important thing is, the proper God for masculine self-sacrificing fathers is himself a masculine self-sacrificing father. Amen. Yeah. Amen, bro. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love everything that you said. And it's, I'm just inspired to hear another man bring Christ back to the center of the conversation of masculinity because it is so important to perpetuate that narrative in a world that looks at Christ as this like hippie that was just walking around feeding people and talking about giving to the poor. Like he is literally the greatest archetype of masculinity you could ever find in human history, in my Great. opinion, right? This is, this is a man who 
to hearken to what you were talking about earlier in the conversation, he took on the greatest amount of responsibility humanly possible for a cross that wasn't even his, for people that he loved and sacrificed his life for those people that he loved so that they could live. And on top of that too, I mean, this is a man who he had incredible power to destroy all of his enemies, but instead he kept it restrained and he walked throughout uh, Judea healing people and, 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 and providing comfort to the weak and the poor and the sick while also at the same time, and this is, this is one of the parts that I'm really inspired by, boldly speaking the truth in the face of people who wanted to kill him, right? That's one of the, the aspects of Christ's masculinity that I'm, I'm most inspired by, particularly in the times that we're living in, in a world that's full of lies and deception. What could be manlier than to have the courage and the faith to stand in front of people who hate you, who literally want you dead, and to still speak the truth lovingly that needs to be heard, right? That will, will completely profoundly alter their lives and the lives of everybody else that hears it. Like that is like, dude, it's, it's so manly. It is so manly to be the guy who has enough courage to say what needs to be said and to do what needs to be done in the face of people that want to kill you. That is the most courageous example I can possibly think of. And as you and I both know, courage is, is really at the heart of masculinity. Courage, and, and love and sacrifice for those that you love. Like this is, this is what manhood is. And, uh, yeah, Christ, man, he's, he's just such a G. And then on top of that too, like, <laughs> like he, he's, he's yeah. the ultimate King archetype, right? Like the, a lot of, a lot of Christ's greatest critics, they're like, look, man, like this guy, you know, one of my friends on Twitter, Uber Boyo, he recently wrote a thread that got a ton mm. of Christians riled up. Gosh. Did you? Oh, yeah, I yeah. didn't read it, but I, was, I, I, I that stuff I, I always get. It always makes me angry because it's it's so it's so provably false, but it's coming from a spirit of like wanting to provoke. So I don't give into it. Yeah, and I like I, I love I love Uber Boyo. He and I have had so many great conversations together, and we actually had a space together last night for like three hours. It was fantastic. But yeah, but like like one of the reasons why I love the fact that he wrote that thread, even though it paints Christianity in a bad light and particularly Christ in a bad light. Like he's like, yeah. look, like your, your God isn't this like warrior King. Like this is a man who was beaten and tortured and spat on and, and crucified. He, he was, he, he wrote that he was essentially a loser in every sense of the, the term when he walked this earth. But I, to that, I counter with it. And this is why I'm excited that he put the thread out there because it gives us as Christians the opportunity to remind everybody like Christ's story here on earth is not done, right? Like he's coming back. And when he comes back, he is coming back as the warrior conqueror king that is going to slay all of his enemies on the earth and leave the fields of the earth strewn with their bodies so that he can then create a kingdom where there will be divine order and, and humanity will flourish for a thousand years. Like that's, bro, like, the coolest king archetype you could possibly have, you know, and I, I'm, yeah. I'm super inspired by that as well. The second edition of the Renaissance of Men Digital Conference has been announced with a lineup of all female speakers talking about the virtues of the Proverbs 31 woman. A femininity conference with a lineup of female speakers? You mean no mansplaining to women about women? Amazing. It's almost like women are people. Someone should really let those other conventions know. This edition of the Digital Conference features Feminine Not Feminist talking about dignity, Dear Sister talking about passion, 
Soli Oli talking about generosity, Bernadine Bluntly discussing courage, Martine DeLuna covering patience, Issa Ryan talking about diligence, and the one and only Allison Armstrong and I will be hosting a 45-minute discussion talking about wisdom. If you loved our previous podcast, you won't want to miss that. These ladies have hundreds of thousands of followers worldwide and are leading the way for the Renaissance of Women and the Great Reconciliation. It'll be a packed day, and you will definitely get your money's worth. Tickets are on sale now, with early bird pricing in effect, but those prices will go up as we get closer to the event. So go to renofmen.com conference to get tickets and enter the code renofmen to take $5 off. Once again, go to renofmen.com conference to get tickets to the second edition of the digital conference series and use the code renofmen to take $5 off. On behalf of me and all the speakers, we look forward to seeing you in June. That critique, that Nietzschean critique from Uber Boyo, he's not the first person to make that. You know, essentially, Christianity is slave morality. That's a very, it's a very common, it's very old. The problem is, if it, it, it can only be espoused by people that are spiritually blind. Right. It can only be espoused by, like, oh, all I can see is, all I can count, all that matters is what I see with my eyes. Purely materialistic, like, yeah, if I just look at your warrior king, like, dude died on a cross, Right. First of all, let me just say that he didn't just die on a cross. He was beaten and tortured and betrayed and all these different things, right? Su- suffered willingly. and died for us willingly, gave his life up. Didn't t- I, I, No one takes my life. I, I give my life up willingly, right? And what is, what is given up willingly cannot be taken. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that he triumphed over death. He rose from the dead, period. Tomb was empty. One of the, mo- one of the best historically attested events in history. So our warrior king, came back from the dead. What did your warrior king barbarian do? Probably not that. Nietzsche, yeah, you wanna, still dead. You want to you wanna talk about Nietzschean vitalism? What's more vital than resurrecting from the dead? That's some, that's some pretty transcendent vitality. Exactly, exactly. And so, and so like they stop the story at the crucifixion and they, right. completely, miss, they completely miss the second half. And the evidence for the, for the resurrection is beyond dispute. Like there's a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And I just read this book, and this is an excellent, excellent book. And the historical evidence of, for the resurrection is, is not disputable, right? Like he came back from the dead, period. And so when you're talking about, you know, what, what kings are, why should God have anything to do with what you expect him to be? Like why do you, man, you creature, think that God should behave in a certain way? The arrogance of that, like, okay, well, in order for me to accept him as a king, he better have like a flaming sword, you know, and, uh, and, and kill everybody, right? Okay, well, you'll get that in the future. Don't worry about that. Like that's, that, that is promised. But at the same time, like if you say, God, I will believe in you when you behave this certain way, that's the height of human arrogance, right? Yeah. No, the, 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 the real way is you, you humble yourself and you accept that you are a creature, and that God's sovereign will rules all, and you are not a self-created being. I hate to break this to everyone listening. There's no such thing as a self-made man. You did not in, you did not put the sperm into your own egg of your own existence. You didn't write your own DNA. You didn't nurse yourself, right? You shaped raw materials that were given to you, but you didn't create the raw materials of yourself. And the idea that these these clay pots, you know, can question the king of the universe 
you know, uh, the potter is is beyond my comprehension. But really, it's it's just a profound it's a profound degree of a very tiresome arrogance that they're not actually willing to listen in most cases to the actual teachings because they want they don't want humility they want power. I don't know Uberboyo, you, you, but you know. Yeah, that's no, it's it's a good critique. And what I would say, like when I have those conversations with with the Nietzschean vitalists, like what's served me really well and has served God really well in those conversations is taking the time to listen to their critiques of Christianity and being right. like, okay, like here's, here's the piece that you're not seeing here. Here's right. the aspect to, uh, God that you are overlooking, right? Like, and, and, and providing them space to give all of their critiques and then to counter it yes. with like, God is far more vital than, than you realize. And like, it's been, it's been, it's been really effective for me in those conversations, but that's not really a rabbit hole I want to go down right now. But no, anyways, no, no. Did, it's a great point. did you want to, yeah. Did, did you want to continue expanding on, on this thread? Well, the, the, the one thing that I just would like to add is a quote from, from um, St. Augustine. I, I love this quote. I love this quote because you can, look in, you can look at it and you can see so many different things. And it is my hope that the people listening will, will see the light shining through it. So this is St. Augustine. He said, man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Like the profound contradictions in there, the paradoxes, but the idea that within God, within Christ, all of these opposites are reconciled into a single moment of glory that provides redemption and salvation for us sinners, that that's what it took for God, the creator of the universe, to save us, that he triumphed over all opposites, even life and death, to bring us back from the mistake that we made. God the Father could have abandoned us, and it wouldn't make a difference in the cosmos. But he loved us enough to send one-third of himself. It's incomprehensible to imagine, try to imagine what one-third of God is. You can't do it. But that's what it took to come down to earth to rescue an entire planet, or rescue the believers of an entire planet. That's what it took to make up for our mistake. And God did that not because we were worthy of it or because we deserved it out of pure grace and love. I, I, Amen. I, Preach, I, bro. It's <laughs> so beautiful, man. It brings I, me I, to I, tears, man. I, yeah. And I, and I, and at some level I, I, for, I forgive people who can't imagine that kind of father because they've perhaps never seen a father truly suffer on their behalf. Like who've yeah. never witnessed their dad taking on the burden created by their child, right? Who, who, never, had, who never had a father, who, who were underfathered, who only had weak fathers. I understand how it's incomprehensible in some ways to imagine that God the Father might be the greatest father that anyone can ever imagine. And if you only had bad fathers, how can you imagine that? But that's the leap of faith, is stepping into that, that God is that kind of father when you're willing to see in quotes like that. 
and that's that's part of the beauty of Christianity too is the the process of discovering that right like you know the the Nietzschean vitalists for example and and so many people they try to they judge God based on their own standards of what they think that God should be and because he doesn't meet those standards in their own minds they reject him but like the the beauty of Christianity is when when you have the humility to let go of your expectations and standards of what you think God should be, and you take the posture yeah. where you're like, okay, I'm going to spend time discovering God and who he actually is. You discover in the process that he is the warrior, the king that you want God to be, but he also is someone who has more love and compassion than we can even begin to fathom in our own mortal minds. And that like that love, all of that love and compassion and the creation of the universe as a whole, mm-hmm. all of this has been done aimed squarely at us in our hearts. It's like God created this entire universe with all of its like wonder and glory and majesty for the purpose of, of like our enjoyment and our discovery, right? It says in Proverbs that it's, it's God's privilege to conceal a thing and it's the King's privilege to seek it out. Right. Mm -hmm. God, he, he, he created this entire universe full of wonder and mysteries and, and there's, there's just so much to discover. And he did so knowing that he would create us and that we would have the opportunity to discover all of it and to seek all of it out. And it's like, there's just so much there to sink your teeth into. And when you read through the Bible and you discover all of the intricate codes and secrets that God has hidden throughout the Bible and how they transcend, you know, the, 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 the basic perspective that we take towards it, where people are like, oh yeah, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a book of stories. Like one of the things that has invigorated my faith so much over the years is listening to the lectures of Chuck Missler. Are you familiar with Chuck Missler? I'm not, no. Brilliant guy. Brilliant guy. This, this guy... Uh, he worked on like super top secret projects for uh, the United States government. The military uh, was, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's funny how God works. He was the head of like missile command in the air force. And his name is Chuck Missler. And then he, <laughs> he, he took all of his intellectual gifts and he started a, a Christian ministry and became a, a pastor. And he spent, you know, he, he's given many sermons and lectures on elucidating uh, the mysteries throughout the Bible so that we can better understand them. And he gave, he gave a, a series of lectures on codes that are actually hidden in the Torah, mathematical codes using equidistant letter sequencing, which mm. is essentially like, it's like a code breaking tool. Um, and God hid like all of these codes throughout the Torah that continually point back towards himself. And he like over and over again, predicted the future in these codes. And also like, you know, even even exoterically over and over again throughout the scriptures, you see that God prophesies what's going to happen in the future and then he fulfills it over and over again. And we can see this happening in the world around us today. And there's just, there's so much to sink your teeth into there, man. And when people, when people take that posture of like learning to love and discover God, it's just an endless rabbit hole of like glorious things that you can learn about him. And it's so far beyond the scope of what you know, the, the vitalists think could even be possible. And this is, this is what I try to share with them. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's so beautiful. If, if you have time, I would love to circle back to one thing we were talking about earlier in the conversation. 
You, yeah. you mentioned how earlier in your life you were Jewish and then you came around to Christianity. T- tell us about that, bro. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, if you feel it's comfortable. Kinda, no, I absolutely, I, I do feel comfortable. There, there's a lot to it, but the, the, the short, the thumbnail version is um, I was born, born into a Jewish family. I have four Jewish grandparents. I was bar mitzvahed when I was 13. Um, my Torah portion was the 10 commandments that was randomly assigned. That wasn't like chosen by me. That's what I got. So when I was 13 years old, I was essentially reading and singing in Hebrew and, and delivering a sermon on, on the 10 commandments. Um, we're going to get something out of the Torah. That's probably, that's probably one of the ones you want to get. Um, but you know, like many, like many Jewish kids, um, my family was atheist. It wasn't actually about, um, it wasn't actually about worshiping, um, the God of, of the old Testament. It was carrying on cultural traditions because this is what we do. But I was always very spiritually minded. So I went to a, I ended up going to a, a Jesuit high school, which was the best school in the best school in town. And I got exposed to Christianity for the first time and got to read, for example, the book of Isaiah and, and it was a Catholic school. So I participate in some Catholic masses and I'm looking around trying to understand what's going on here. And then I went to the Bay area for college and the Bay Area is just swimming in kind of new age, you know, kind of philosophy. And I really drank a lot of that in, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of atheists, particularly a lot of Jewish, Jewish atheists do, is they're look, they have a spiritual hunger um, for God because we're, we're all made in God's image. And that was what was available there. So I explored lots of different new age um, practices and uh, in, in all different kinds of ways. I've had you know, 15 ayahuasca ceremonies in the United States and Peru. Um, I've been to Buddhist meditation retreats in the mountains of, of uh, Kashmir, which is near Pakistan. I've been to the Kumbh Mela Hindu Festival in India, 190 million Hindus bathing in the Ganges River. Like spiritual pursuit has been just part of my life because I've wanted to understand. I'd, there's this word that gets thrown around a lot. It's called fasc- fascinating. It's fascinating. Fascinating is based on the word, I believe, fascia, which means to bind together. So fascinating means it's something you're so interested in and it binds you together. And so it really was fascinating for me to, to pursue this. Um, but then in, in 2015, um, I was living in the Bay Area. I, I went to Burning Man. And I had been before. Um, I had been a couple times before. And at 20, in 2015, when I went to Burning Man, uh, I was coming off of a breakup. And the person I was camped next to had said, oh, if you're coming off a breakup and you're dealing with grief, you should go visit this camp Spirit Dream. And uh, I'm like, okay. And so I went to this camp Spirit Dream and they had uh, all these different healing modalities that they had kind of listed on the, on, the, on the board outside that they would help you participate in, dream interpretation, stuff like that. And it all sounded, you know, it didn't sound particularly new age, but it didn't sound, I didn't recognize some of the terms. And I went in, I had a three and a half hour healing session at, with them, um, which was <laughs> three hours longer than most people do. And at the end of it, I had a, um, I had a, a vision of Christ. And I was like, well, who are you people? Like, we're Christians. So they had been running a Christian ministry at Burning Man for 12 years, ministering wow. to some of the most lost people who were so hungry for spiritual goodness, but didn't know where to find it. The, the prodigal son story is very, very real. It's very, very real. And so Burning Man is very much the epitome of like eating from the pig's trough. And so they had, they had felt called to go to the festival to minister to people, not put a big cross up outside, you know, not to, not to you know, hand out gospel tracts but to just love people and to just really show them, to show them Christ's love and plant seeds. And so they planted a seed in me. And then I, I traveled and went around the world and did some of the things that I listed, but I kept in touch with them. 
And when I got back to the United States after four years overseas in February of 2020, just before COVID, before COVID became a thing, no one was talking about it really at the time. Uh, they sent me a book called Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. And um, Rob Mazza, um, who is he, the Spirit Dream has been on my podcast. Rob sent me that book and I read the book and there was, uh, and I had been, you know, you talk about schizo and studying all the elites and stuff. I had been doing that for about 10, uh, for about seven or eight years. Like when I went on my initiation, I discovered the dark side of the, of the world, let's say with um, the, um, the Greenbaum speech, um, which uh, by Dr. Corey and Hyamant, which we can talk about separately. So I was aware that there were all these, there was real evil in the world and I was struggling with it because the new age world doesn't know what to do about evil. It doesn't acknowledge it, right? It's all, it's all one, right? No, no, no. Like evil is a real independent thing. And so I was struggling with this knowledge and I read in Simply Christian that up on the cross, uh, when Jesus was on the cross, this is in the book, this great wave of evil came to crash over him. And through his death and sacrifice, he drove back the wave of evil forever. And that's what the Christian story was about. And I, I got it. I got it. That it clicked. And so then I read, um, then I read uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and I read Screwtape Letters. And I've said many times that it was like the first time anyone had spoken to me about Christianity like I was an adult. Um, not saying my friends, but in books. And then when I went to visit them uh, Labor Day weekend of, of 2020, I asked them to baptize me. And so they baptized me, and that became my began my sanctification and regeneration journey. And it's funny that you asked this because I'm actually getting on a plane to go visit them for the first time in three years tomorrow. <laughs> wow. That is legit, dude. Yeah. That is so legit. What, 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 an, what an incredible story. And <clears throat> a follow-up question I, I have to that is like, you know, I, I've spoken with many Jews who of course, reject Christ still. And like, what, yeah. what, what, would, what would you say to them about their Messiah? How would you witness to them? Um, I, it would depend. It would depend on what kind, of, um, what kind of Jewish they are. If they're atheist, um, because I, I've had to think through these questions myself. I, and when I was in college, I was the chair of the Jewish Students Association for a couple of years. So I was kind of involved in the faith. I, I spoke at high holiday services, raising money for the Jewish Students Association as well. So it was part of my life. And then when I got out of college, I went to, um, I went to services um, in, at the local temple. And there were all these young people there, and they were singing in flat tones. And it was just like, I really was struck with this impression, like this is a dead religion. Like, this is a funeral dirge. This is not celebration. This is not joy. This is not worship. This is doing a thing because you have to do a thing. And if you're doing a religion because you have to do a religion, not because it's informing your life and, and making you a better person and inspiring you, then it's a dead religion, right? There's no other way for me to put it. And that was what really got me thinking, like, what does Judaism have to say to the modern world? And I didn't find a good answer. Um, and so if, if you're Jewish and you're listening to this, and um, you're struggling to let go, but you're actually atheistic. Um, first, it's let's talk about the existence of God and let's talk about the atheism. Why don't you believe in God? Right? That would be the, the begin the question. And, and usually the reason that people give for that is because um, why is there evil in the world or some sort of bad historical events? Why do people suffer? And my response to that is um, Christianity resolves that because 
Christ came to suffer with us more than anyone else on earth ever did or has, unjustly betrayed by a kiss, abandoned by justice, you know, tortured, flogged, crucified. The word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion, excruciating, that's where that comes from, right? And so God isn't up at a remove, not suffering with us as human beings, not experiencing justice. God came down himself to experience the greatest injustice in human history. That's what Christianity has to offer. If you're mad about injustice, God participates and experiences that injustice more so than any other human being has ever deserved in order to liberate us from injustice. He's not at a remove. He's not distant. So that's my response to atheistic Jews. Um, and and that's a, a, there's more to that conversation. The other question is, um, some Jews are Talmudic Jews, and that is a longer conversation. Um, the, the Talmud is the Babylonian Talmud. It's, um, I, I believe that it was picked up by the Jews when they were in Babylonian exile. And uh, the Talmud is a very complicated series of books that has some very um, disgusting things to say about Christ and that ultimately is rabbinic commentary on the Torah. And they believe that, um, that they have successfully parsed the Torah to the degree where they can, the rabbis can tell God what to do. Um, and, but really what's underneath the Talmud is the Kabbalah. And the Kabbalah is also something that I've studied. I studied that for two years, tarot and Kabbalah. And so the Kabbalah is mysticism. It's called Hebrew mysticism. I don't think there's anything distinctively Hebrew about it. Um, I don't see I don't see the God of the Old Testament or the, which is the same God of the New Testament reflected in it. But the Kabbalah is a much longer conversation. So to Jews that are struggling to let go of their faith, um, I would first ask: Are you an atheist? Um, if if yes, why? And can we speak into that? To Jews that are Talmudic Jews, um, that would be a, a longer conversation about the about the nature of the Talmud and the Kabbalah, and and what's going on there. a lot in that answer yeah it's it's one one of the most interesting discussions to me for many different reasons but i think chiefly among them when i look at the old testament scriptures i see all of it pointing towards christ absolutely and and somehow jews have been there many of them are ignorant to it some of them appear to have been blinded to it uh and it's just, it's a fascinating conversation for me for, for a number of reasons. For one, because I think that it's my personal opinion that the uh, Jewish Messiah that they are awaiting, the figure that they are awaiting, who they don't, they don't realize it's actually Christ. I think the figure who will rise in the future that they will believe is their Messiah will actually be the biblical Antichrist. Hmm. Yeah. Which is which is a very interesting interesting point of tension between Judaism and Christianity because, uh, I, well, it's it's a long discussion. Yes, but to to add on to that too, like I just I, I'm always asking this question because it it makes me want to figure out how to be better at witnessing to Jews, right? And when I yeah. bring up Isaiah chapter 53 or many of the different prophecies of the Messiah, and I point towards Jesus Christ riding into Bethlehem triumphantly on a on a donkey, for example, or uh, there, there are scriptures talking about how, uh, you know, the servant of God would be pierced for our transgressions, mm-hmm. right? Like there's, there's just so many, there's so many prophecies that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would come from the land of Galilee, like all of these different things. There's so many points of evidence 
that Jesus is the Messiah that, 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 that they're waiting for. And uh, I'm, always, I'm always trying to, get, to figure out how to get better at witnessing to them in conversations because it's, just, it's such a fascinating discussion to use that word. It is. It is. And, and, and I, I would say that um, for me, the one thing that I was uh, made aware of in various ways, you know, during my, my explorations of religion and spirituality is that whatever, and I don't know, it was never stated outright to me, but this was the very clear feeling was that, um, was, was that I could become any, any religion that I wanted. Um, I could probably have even become Muslim. It wouldn't have made any sense but I, pr- I probably could have done it. But the cl- bright, clear red line I was not to cross was not to become Christian. Mm. Now, I don't, I don't know why. This was never articulated to me, but it was very clear that that was the case. And I, but I think that there are a lot of Jewish people who feel such a strong tie to the traditions of their youth, their parents, to their grandparents, and they feel like that they would be profoundly disloyal if they abandon them because we have to carry these traditions on because no one else will. Mm. And there is a real element. There is a real element of that. And I can say that for myself, it was something that I confronted. um, But ultimately I decided that I cared more about the truth than traditions. Amen. This is where God bless you for that, bro. What what's your family's response to your conversion to Christianity been? Uh, I am not part of the family. I've been I've been dis I've been disfellowshipped. I'm no longer invited to um, uh, family events. Um, I have kept um, two relationships. I don't I don't know how much I want to surface in public, but let's just say the yeah. consequences have been the consequences have been um, significant and probably probably irreversible. Um, now I pray, I pray that um, God surfaces uh, 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 Himself to people that that He can reach their hearts, perhaps through me. I, I continue doing what I'm doing and and witnessing in in the way that I do, and uh, trying not to trying not to judge, even though I've been angry, I've been hurt um, by the process, and um, at the same time, the truth is the truth, and um, you know to be persecuted for his namesake. <laughs> the world hated me before they hated you. So um, it's, I've paid, a, I've paid a, a personal cost to becoming Christian, a familial cost, a professional cost. But that's, um, and I think that's, there are a lot of reasons why people fear Christianity, but ultimately the freedom that I found in response has been, in life has been beyond worth it. And I know that there's eternity to look forward to after. So Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry to hear about the uh, rifts that it's caused between you and your loved ones. Um, I just I want to commend you for sticking to your guns in your pursuit of the truth and and in in your conviction in the truth, man. And what's <clears throat> what's funny, you. you know, talk about glorifying God. I mean, His glory is revealed in that Christ. He promised us he came not to bring peace, but a sword and to turn family yeah. members against one another in, in their yeah. belief of him. And a, a servant is not greater than his master. And if Christ was persecuted before us, so too will we be. And uh, his words clearly are true. And, and, and your, your own personal life exemplifies this. And I, I really, I just can't commend you enough for sticking to your guns, man. I, I know, I know how hard that's been. And mm 
you, you, I know as well that Christ promises we will be richly rewarded in heaven for the, the prices that we pay for following him in this life. And uh, your, I know that your conviction is blessing many too, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I you know, I was a sinner. Still am. But, um, you know, I, I traveled. I um, fornicated quite a bit traveling. Um, and you, what you talk about, you know, uh, men and women using each other, like that's what happens, you know, like maybe, yeah, it's all consensual and everyone's there for, for a good time. But, you know, there were more times I, you know, I can count, like there's more going on here and we might be pretending that it isn't, but it is. And the, you know, the notion I've been thinking a lot about breakups, like breakups are such BS. Like (laughs) we're not meant to break up. Like this grief and pain and agony we feel when a breakup happens, it's, it's like we take it for granted. It's just part of life. But it's like, no, that's breaking something. Like this, all these bonding chemicals and our souls begin merging and then you shatter that. And how many times do we do that through our lives? And we accept that as normal when all those bonds are meant to be that, that initial foundation, that rush of romantic connection is supposed to be lay the foundation that we build on top of. And how many times do men and women have that broken in each other? And, and so when you were speaking about that earlier, I, I look back on my time doing that and I, and I hate it. I've said this on another podcast, my friend, Pat Stedman, I hate that I did those things. I hate my sin. And I see the ways that God literally saved me from myself, literally saved me from myself. Countless times he's bailed me out of my own bad decisions. And I, I, I shudder to even ask because that's probably more numerous than the stars. And he plucked me here and he gave me a life and a passion and a mission, right? And salvation and brotherhood and friendship. And I didn't earn any of this. <laughs> so the cost that I'm paying in terms of my own emotional pain, in terms of my own grief, is small. It isn't even the word infinitesimal compared to the gift that he's given me. And so, yes, I'll, I'll pay that cost every day. Amen, man. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you on the breakup thing, man. Yeah. Does not does not feel good. Does not feel good. <laughs> it's just part of life. Like, no, it's not. Why? Yeah, there's a lot to be learned from it, that's for sure. Where would you take where would you like to take the conversation from here, Will? Um thank you. Thank you for um for inquiring about me. I, I really appreciate that. I feel very honored by that. Um, I, I, guess, I guess the one thing that I'd like to hear um, is a little bit about your testimony, if you're willing to share. I mean, you said that you were led away from Christ and then led back to him, and obviously he's become an enormous, a, a central, the central pillar of your life now. What was that journey like away and then home again? It's a great question. I would be honored to share that with you and with Thank your you. audience. Yeah. yeah. So God is, it's so, it's so funny how God works, man. So I didn't know Christ until I was in like fifth grade, Hmm. summer camp after fifth grade. My my parents put me in a Christian private middle school Mm -hmm. and uh, summer camp after fifth grade, we went to a place called Forest Home here in California. And I, it was a Christian camp and I, developed a really close relationship with my pastor at that point in time. And, uh, 
I ended up making the conscious decision to give my life to Christ while I was at the camp. And from fifth to eighth grade, I continued to go to church, uh, was very active in youth group. My youth pastors, like they, they really, you know, kind of brought me under their wings and just spent a lot of time witnessing to me and ministering to me. And while, as this time is going on, there's a lot of turmoil in my family. Okay. So when I was a kid, when I was about eight years old, my mother became extremely ill from Lyme disease. Okay. So my mom, she was, my mother, while she was hiking through the woods in Connecticut, she got bit by a tick and that tick had Lyme bacteria inside of it. (sighs) Yeah. And, uh, she went to a doctor, had the bullseye rash, went to a doctor and he prescribed her a round of antibiotics. And so she took the antibiotics Usually when people do that, shortly after contracting Lyme, they can kill off the Lyme bacteria before it's really taken a hold in their system. Mm-hmm. And then they're free of Lyme. Now, my mother took the antibiotics, but the Lyme was, it, it wasn't killed off by it. It still took a hold in her system. And like 10 or 15 years later, when I'm, might've been a little bit more than 15 years later, I'm, I'm eight years old and my mother uh, she, our family was in Utah and she was kind of pushing herself away from a desk that she was sitting at and she broke her wrist when she was doing it. Yeah. And she was like, what the hell? How did this just happen? She had, you know, she had osteoporosis and started going to doctors to try and figure out like, why did this just happen? Didn't get any clear answers. And she starts to get a ton of pain and weakness and numbness in her legs. And then she like, can't walk anymore after a couple of years. And all of these health issues are coming out of nowhere. And then she's bedridden. She has no energy on a daily basis, has all these neurological symptoms. And she's like, what is going on? Hmm. Two years later, she discovered that she had Lyme disease. She saw so many doctors. And this is such a typical story of people who have chronic Lyme. She saw so many doctors. None of them had any good answers for her. And then eventually she found out that she had Lyme disease from the tick and that she hadn't killed it when she got it. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So when I'm in middle school and stuff... Um, you know, my, my family's just going through a lot with my mom's sickness and my parents, this was around, uh, like coming up on 2008 and then 2008 happens. And my parents at the time they had two homes. They were in the process of trying to sell our home in Arizona after they had bought a home in San Diego. And so they were stretched thin financially and the housing market crashed. Mm. They had to foreclose on, on our home. And like, we just lost a lot financially and it placed a tremendous amount of stress on my parents. And that in combination with my mother's illness, like it was just, it was so much on my parents and they, you know, they, they started to move towards divorce. Right. And so I'm in like sixth grade. My dad leaves our home. Uh, he didn't like, leave, he was trying really hard to make everything work with my mom, but like it just, my mom was just bless her heart. She was just falling apart at the seams and they were fighting every night, screaming at each other. And my dad was trying so hard to be patient. And I'm, I'm hearing all of this happen and I'm seeing my mother's suffering just exponentially accelerate. And it was honestly, watching everything she was going through was terrifying for me to witness as a kid. I made so many trips to the hospital with her where she's just in despair and terrified of what's happening in her own body. And is unable to to arrest the downward spiral that she's going through in life because of the Lyme. She, she's trying desperately to heal herself from it, leaning on God so hard in the process and is just going further and further downward into, into illness. And 
dude, I'm watching all of this happen while I'm in middle school. And my, my, you know, I was at a, like I said, a Christian middle school, my teachers were really, really there for me throughout that time for my mother's, yeah, for my mother's illness and her, her, my parents' divorce, my, my pastors, they're really there for me. My, my youth group leaders, they're really there for me. And then I go to high school and I went to a public high school and like going to church, all of that kind of stuff. It just like fell by the wayside with my family. Like my, my parents weren't going to church anymore together because they were separate, separated. And so I go to high school and I'm like, all I want to do is like what I had seen, you know, a bunch of other kids do when, when they were in middle school and stuff at the public middle schools. Like I, all I wanted to do is like smoke weed and hook up with girls and party and all this stuff, all the fun stuff that I heard, you know, kids, kids did in high school. I wanted to do all of that. And things just kept, keep getting worse and worse and worse at home with my mom. And her suffering is just unbelievable. And in the process of just throwing myself into worldliness and not going to church anymore and watching my mother's suffering, my faith just gets destroyed. And I'm watching Mm. everything she's going through. And, uh, like it, it like, dude, it just, it just ripped apart my faith in God. And it all, it all culminated when I was 16 years old. On May 24th, 2012, I went on a school field trip uh, at my high school. And after the field trip was over, I got a message from somebody and they were like, I'm so sorry to hear what happened to your mother. And at this point in time, at this point in time, I hadn't lived with my mom for like six months. She had moved to downtown San Diego. And um, I get this message. I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to your mom. And I was like, oh, shit what just happened. So I call, I call my, my, my dad and I was like, yo, I just got this message about mom. What, what, what just happened? And he told me, he was like, your mom took her life this morning. I was like, really? Yeah. And he tells me, yeah. And I said, okay, how did it happen? And he told me that she had jumped off the ledge of her apartment building and, uh, had fallen five stories and and died. And yeah, I just, I was, I was overcome with grief and that, that was the final nail in the coffin for my faith. Uh, I saw everything that my mom had gone through and I saw how tightly she clung to Christ throughout the process, looking for hope and salvation. And it just looked like God had just completely left her hanging and abandoned our family. And I, I was like, I thought, I thought about everything I'd been taught about an all-knowing and all-loving God who performs miracles. And I was like, yeah, that's all BS. God, like, if he does exist, he doesn't care. And I don't think he even does exist for him to have let this happen to my family, especially considering my mom's faith. So essentially, F you, God, like, I'm, I'm done. Mm. I became an atheist. I, I was already, like, pretty atheistic at that point. But that was like, at that point, I was an atheist and I hated God. Okay. So I started living for myself and, uh, you know, just, just really lived for myself, lived a very sinful life for about three years. And, um, at the end of my freshman year of college, you know, I had this girlfriend and her and I were super in love with one another and she was from Denmark. She was a foreign exchange student. She had to move back home to Denmark and 
I looked at my savings account. I had enough money to go out there and visit her and her family for like a month that summer. So I went out there and stayed with them for like half the summer. Her and I fall even deeper into love. And, uh, you know, I, I end up having to fly home back to California for my sophomore year of college. And her and I, you know, we make the mutual decision that we need to break up. And that breakup was really, really hard on me psychologically for a number of reasons, especially because this, this woman and I had like, we had bonded to one another so tightly, especially in the flesh and our spirits. And then we just like cut ourselves off from that. And it, it really like, it took such a psychological toll on me, especially knowing like, you know, here's this girl I love. And I just felt so powerless and emasculated because I couldn't afford to be with her. Mm. And like, that's a terrible feeling to have as a man, you have a woman that you love and you can't afford to be with her. And she's just on the other side of the world. And then eventually she started talking to other guys. And that, that was like, yeah, you know, eventually, you know, once, once she had started to move on from the relationship and she started talking to other guys and I saw it on social media, it was just like, Oh, it was like an arrow through my chest. And it just mm. like, it really, really like messed with my head. And at the same time, I'm starting to get very physically ill. Okay. And I didn't know at the time that I had Lyme disease. So when I was in my mother's mm. womb, when I was in my mother's womb, the Lyme bacteria that was in her body also colonized my body. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I had been living with Lyme at that point for 19 years and I'd had all sorts of health issues throughout my life. And my mom always told me, Chase, it's because you have Lyme. And I just thought, well, like, I feel like I'm doing, like, I, it doesn't, like, I see what you're going through and I'm not going through that. So like, whatever I have can't be what you have. And I, I figured like, if I just, if I just refuse to believe that I have Lyme, like I could probably just be fine. Right. But at that point in time in my life, when I'm 18, 19 years old, all of these health issues that no doctors can explain start piling up. And it, it, it messes me up, man. Like it, it messed me up, especially my brain, my gut, my energy. I would wake up in the morning and I couldn't think straight for hours throughout the day. And like, like the breakup and then all the health, health issues, they just start compounding. And I, get, I got to like a really mentally unwell place. And so... December of 2014, I go back home to San Diego to go visit some friends during Christmas time, during my mm -hmm. Christmas break. And uh, I visited my, my high school principal while I was back home. He's a fantastic guy. While everything was happening to my family in high school, you know, I was close friends with his son. He took very close interest in me when I was in high school as like a second son to him. And was always there for me when I was in high school, you know, came to my mother's funeral, like just amazing guy. And I went and visited him December of 2014. And, uh, he asked me how I was doing and he, you know, uh. he's, he asked, he's one of those guys, like, he's one of those guys that could just see right through me. You know, I can't, I couldn't hide a, a damn thing from him, you know? And like other people would ask me how I was doing. Oh yeah, everything's great. You know, I'd tell on the outside, everything looked like it was great in my life. But on the inside, it's like just hell. And he asked me how I'm doing. And I just look at him and I can see he's looking right through me into my soul. And tears start welling up in my eyes. Mm. And I told him, honestly, I don't, I don't know why I'm alive at this point. I don't, I don't, there's no purpose to my life. There's no meaning. My life is suffering and chaos. And 
I don't really want to be alive anymore, essentially. And uh, he just looked at me with this like look of compassion and this smile on my face, like he knew something I didn't know. And I'm just, I'm just thinking like, screw you, man. Like, mm -hmm. and he, he, he looks at me, he goes, Chase, until you get the God card figured out in your life, you're going to have this hole inside of you and you're going to have this confusion. I, I looked at him and I was like, dude, how can you tell me that I need to get the God card figured out when you can't even prove to me that God is real? And just looked at me and smiled and he said, I can prove it to you. And I said, really? How can you prove to me that God is real? He just got up from his desk, walked over to his bookshelf, took a tiny little book off the shelf and then slid it across his desk to me. And that book was More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. Mm. And he said, Chase, read this book. You will see that God is real. And I was like, okay. So I, <laughs> I took that book and I went home and just put it on my bookshelf. Like, I was like, whatever. <laughs> I was like, what, whatever, dude. And uh, fast forward three months, you know, I have, I have something really depressing happen on my birthday. And uh, I just spiral even deeper into depression. And I had this one day where I was so sad and so broken. And I knew that if my life continued on that trajectory with Lyme disease, I would never be able to be a functioning member of society who's bringing value into the world as a man who can, who can provide for a wife and kids, who has the, the energetic, physical, mental, emotional capacity to care for a family. And I'm like, I'm just thinking to myself, dude, if I'm going to be like this forever and I can't work and I can't provide for a family and I'm not going to be able to have kids or it would be irresponsible for me to bring kids into the world because of this condition. There's no point to me continuing with my life. Like my life will just be endless suffering with, with meaninglessness forever. I would rather die. I would, I would, I would absolutely rather kill myself if this is my lot in life. And I just like, I just like like stepped into my bathroom and just turned on the shower and just slumped down in the shower with the water running over me. And I just started to sob because of how hopeless my life felt, man. And I was just thinking to myself, like, dude, like, I just, I don't want to be alive anymore. And uh, I, pr I prayed to God that day for the first time in like six years. And I was like, God, if you exist, like, I need you to save me, man. You know, like I can't, I can't do this on my own. And I just, I, I desperately, desperately cried out to God with my whole heart in that moment. And, uh, I just heard this little voice in my head. Tell me, Chase, go and read that book. <laughs> And I, I, I had forgotten that that book was even on my shelf at that point. Like it took me a moment to remember what this voice was even referring to. It just said, Chase, go read that book. And it was like clear as day. It, it, was, it was one of those, you, you hear it in your head and you know it's not one of your own thoughts. Yep. That, it's, that it's come from some other realm. You know, it's, it's the spirit. And looking back on that moment, I know for a fact it was the Holy Spirit. 
speaking to me in that moment. And it, it was it was so still and such a small voice, but it said it with such clarity. It like just cut through the chaos, like the, the waters of my mind, you know, like, like Jesus with his disciples out on the seas, like the waters of my mind just became still in that moment when I heard that voice speak. And I knew like, there's nothing else for me to do in life that was important at that moment, but to go and read that book. So I took the book off the shelf. I started reading More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And it taught me that God is real. I, I read Josh's story. I read his own personal testimony of how he tried disproving God and saw that he, he tried to, he looked over all of the evidence, tried compiling a case for God, you know, Christianity being false. And as he's looking over all of the evidence, he realizes that it's true. And then he lays out all of the evidence in the book. And I'm, I'm a very rational, objective person. I weigh evidence for anything. And I try not to form any beliefs on anything that doesn't have rock solid evidence to back it up. And I'm looking at all of this rationally and objectively, and I'm like, dude, Jesus Christ actually resurrected from the dead. And the, the evidence overwhelmingly points towards that being the truth. And if Jesus Christ actually is the son of God, and if God can raise his own son from the dead, and if God knows me, then God must have some sort of purpose for my life. And there must be a purpose for this suffering. And it, it, it just, it filled me with hope, dude. And I held on... I held on to that hope with like the, the tightest white knuckles, bro, for years, man. Every day. My life was still pure chaos for like a year after that. But I just, I, I started praying to God continually every day. God, please give me the tools and the resources to pull myself out of this situation. Please bring me healing for my body. You know, please show me the path out of this hell that I'm in. And he, you know, he introduced me to a book that taught me about nutrition and weightlifting and how to fix a lot of the health issues that I had from the Lyme, especially on an endocrine level. Uh, and I started to apply that knowledge and I, I started to, I, 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 I dedicated myself very disciplinedly to a, a weightlifting and nutrition program that started to, to build my body strong and to heal my body. And every day I would go to the gym and I would be lifting the weights and I would, I would tell myself, Chase, just, just do your best and leave God the rest. Your life is in pure chaos. Just do your best and leave God the rest. And every day I just had faith, like, God, like, I, I believe that you're going to pull me out of this situation. I believe that you have a plan for your life. And I, I, just by the grace of God, I started to pull myself out of the pits of hell that I was in. And then, you know, a year and a half later, I find myself in a completely different position in life. And like, I'm like, God has just placed me firmly upon the rock and I'm like in such a better position. And all of the things that God taught me about myself and, and himself and his word and masculinity and how to be a strong man and how to attack life and how to live a life of purpose. Like I learned so much about that in this phase of my life and it gave me a direction. And, and like that in combination with never wanting to be in a position like I had been with that girl who I couldn't afford to be with, like all of this just culminated in this huge fire inside of my belly to like live my life on fire for God, to pursue sovereignty, to like become the greatest man that I was capable of becoming. And God, dude, he just continued making my path straight. And I've been walking with him ever since. And I know, you know, I still struggle tremendously with Lyme. I still have so many health issues from it. 
but like I'm so much stronger and wiser of, of a person than I was in that period. And I know that my life, like it's, it's he, like the, the, the Lord holds my entire life in his hands. And I know that for a fact and I fear him. And so that's why I try to live every day, just like honoring him as best as I can. Cause I know he could rip everything out from under me in a second if he wanted to, which is try, which is why I try to do my best to, you know, repent of my sins continually and to honor him with my life, to seek his favor over my life. You know, I want, I want his favor. I want him to answer my prayers. I want to, to serve him and to glorify him. And it's just, it's just, it's just amazing to see how he's redeemed my life, bro. Like he, he, right. I was, I was in the, the, the pits of death. I had the, the coils of death snared around me when I was in that place. And God just like lifted me out of that place. And like, he's just been using my life since. And it's, it's just, it's just amazing, dude. We have a great God. And I'm just, I'm so like, so grateful. I'm so grateful, you know? That's, that's my testimony, bro. <laughs> apologize for the uh well i don't i don't apologize it, it yeah it just moves me man it moves me to think about everything god has done in my life man it moves me to think about how good he is and how much he, he's blessed me man it's amazing we we serve an incredible god dude thank you for uh the opportunity to share my testimony will to God, the glory praise him, man. While you were giving your testimony river Riverside, um, or at least Chrome browsers kind of after about two or three hours or so kind of has a little bit of problem recording. So I was like, I stopped recording at some point doing that. I'm like, I'm just gonna let it, let it run. Cause uh, I was, I was, I was right there with you in that moment as you were describing your own crises that you had been through. And, and the ways that God reached you. And I know that still small voice that shows up and speaks the words, you know, I, I'll say for speak for myself that I needed to hear in exactly the moment. And there's no way that those words came from my own mind. There's no way that came, that thought was my own. And it was just the briefest, clearest sentence, you know, that told me what I needed to do in that moment of crisis. And I know that feeling very well. And it's so, it's so remarkable that that book was sitting there waiting for you. God was waiting for you in that book for you to be ready to come to him. When you were, when you were finally on your knees and you realized that you could no longer do it in your own strength and were ready to actually ask God for his strength. I mean, that is, that is, that is the story. That is the story, you know, for, for righteousness and righteous men to, who recognize, you know, they tr we try and we try and we try in our own strength and it doesn't get where we want to get. And then the moment when we're finally humbled and we surrender and give it up to God, yes, he shows up. Yes. It just takes a while to and get there. It's so, it's so beautiful too, man. You know, God, he told the Israelites in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, you know, he told them, when you seek me and call on me with your whole heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, you know? Like, like God promised to reveal himself when we seek him with our whole heart. And in that moment, like, dude, he came true on that promise. Like he, he, he came through 
and and I called on him with my whole heart and like boom spoke to me with through the Holy Spirit saved me from that place and like for anybody listening like I would just encourage dude anybody who's going through tough times in their own life man God promises when you call on him everything that you have and you're willing to surrender to him and surrender your life to him and like a lot of people they have expectations of like how they expect to hear from God right and 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 if if God's response doesn't fit into those expectations they're like well you know then he's not listening right but like a buddy of mine recently he he told me he's been going through a crisis in his own life and he this crisis like came out of nowhere it wasn't of his own doing and it like just just threatened to destroy everything in his life and he desperately cried out to God uh, for him to reveal himself in his life. And like, boom, the very next day, an absolute miracle from God came to redeem his life and his entire life situation. And like, he was like, dude, like I told him about my own story and he was like, dude, exactly what you told me happened to you with God. When you called on him with your whole, with your whole heart, that happened to me. And like people experience this all the time. And like, for those who are secular, if you're listening and you find yourself in that crisis point in life, or Maybe you don't even have to let it get to a crisis point. Maybe you just really want God and and you want his presence in your life. Call out to him and just wait, wait to hear from him. Like be still, know that he is God. Wait to hear his voice in your life. Look for it, listen for it. You'd be amazed how God can reveal himself to you. And uh, it's just, dude, it's so cool too, man, because his recommendation to me, that, that, that mentor of mine, my high school principal, his recommendation of me, towards me to read that book. Now I've, you know, I had the opportunity to share that testimony on Tim Pool's podcast and like, like Mm -hmm. that freaking testimony has been seen a million and a half times across the platforms. And so many people have read that book now and they're messaging me like, dude, this book has changed my life. Like it, it revealed Christ to me for people that are listening more than a carpenter, Josh McDowell. You can buy it on Amazon. Seven dollars. It's less than two hundred pages. You can read it in a few days. Check out that book. God is real, and you can know Him. And His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, Absolutely. Dude. And you said something really important. You don't have to wait for a crisis to go looking for Christ. A lot of people, men, women. This is what I experienced in my men's initiation that I talked about is that so many men didn't actually show up to that initiation until they're on their third marriage and they're alcoholic or, you know, and they're just, their life is falling apart and they're looking for something, anything. I wasn't Christian at the time. So they come to this weekend looking for, for a rebirth, right? When they're at crisis, finally, when they're, when their back is really against the wall and they have to show up, that's when a lot of people go looking for God in general, but you don't have to wait for that. A lot of people get forced into that position but you can go looking for God now. And there are so many beautiful books about Christianity that are so powerful. We've listed a whole bunch of them. You know, not just a carpenter or more than a carpenter. Um, the Case for Christ, Mere Christianity, Simply Christian. You've also read The Great Divorce. So I, w- I want to talk about that really quick because I read that book recently. But there are so many incredible, The Cross of Christ by John Stott is another one if you want to get your mind blown with the complexity of Christianity. And it's there. It's there, but people will wait until they're on their until they they have to be forced to their knees. But it doesn't have to go like that. You can enjoy that freedom now without it reaching a crisis. And I think that's what's happening on entire civilization. 
our entire civilization rejected Christ, rejecting Christ. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to bring you all to your knees until you finally accept me. But it didn't have to go that way. And that's, that's the tough part. I mean, maybe that's the human story in general, but you listening right now, you don't have to choose that. And maybe you can help turn the civilization around as well so that we don't all have to default into, into what's coming or what feels like it's not, coming. Not maybe. I want to upgrade that statement. It's not maybe you can help turn the civilization around. That's, that's yeah. the thing, man. Every man who chooses to pursue Christ and who chooses to uh, be fruitful and to multiply and to raise a family in the way of the Lord and to, to send their children out into the culture, or even yeah. if they're called to a life of, of, of celibacy and singleness, like a man who, who chooses to get his own act together and pursue God and to be a good representative for Christ in the culture and to take part in the spiritual war, like they absolutely can and ought to play a role in turning our civilization around. And in every single one of us counts, man, like people, you know, they might look at my story with like going viral and stuff and they're like, well, that's not going to happen to me. So what role can I play? Dude, it's, it's in your everyday, like, like yeah. for, for years prior to this man, like even when I was working at a, a pool in my earlier twenties, like I, like I would just have conversations with people and share the gospel with them if I had the opportunity and you never, like you can plant seeds all over the place and you never know how it could completely change somebody's life. Every single one of us has the capacity to make a difference, no matter how small or great, every single one of us can and should do our best to glorify God in that way. And it, it adds up, man. You never know mm-hmm. what the ripple effects of your actions are going to be. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, the fact that my high school principal, you know, took the time to have that conversation with me, took that time out of his day. And then like, I just look at the ripple effect of that in my own life. And then how that's translated, you know, his, his advice to me, and then me passing that same advice on to others, you never know, like if you might have a conversation with somebody and, and they might, you know, bear a br- bunch of fruit too. You just never know. We can all, yeah. we can all participate in it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. My friends, Spirit Dream, who I met at Burning Man, they have been going for 12 years when I met them. And so there is no environment on earth, you know, except for maybe Mecca and Medina, <laughs> right? That was less friendly to Christianity than Burning Man. And so they went for 12 years undercover. They didn't make a big thing of it. They saw thousands of people, probably countless people coming into the tent and going through the various services. And they only went two more years after they met me. Now, I don't actually know how many people that they sowed seeds into became Christian, but I know that they got me, right? And so now here I am with this platform, building a platform, reaching out to people on this and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff and spreading more seeds. And it's like, so if, if like, and I'm not anything special, this is all the Holy Spirit working through us, right? So I might make clear that this is not about me. But the idea is that here's someone who feels convicted to begin spreading the gospel in response. And so you can talk to thousands of people. And if you get one person who's convicted enough in themselves and saved enough in, in themselves to communicate that forward, like, is the entire effort worth it? Is the entire effort, I, I think so, absolutely. Yes. Because what, what did you start out the conversation saying? You started the conversation saying, it's not about money or fame or success. It's all about winning souls for the kingdom. That's yes. the only metric that matters, right? And so if they went for 12 years and they saw thousands of people and they got one guy who's got a microphone and a camera and a conviction in his heart to share it, and that spreads out to thousands of more people and it picks up more people, then the, then the mission was successful. And yes. that's literally all it takes, but maybe we can't always see that, but that's, 
let God handle that. You handle your yes. job. God will handle his job. Yes, man. And and to add on to that too, like, dude, even just to just to to complete the journey to heaven in one's own life is a massive accomplishment. To to get to spend the rest of eternity with the creator of the universe, that's oh. a massive accomplishment. To witness to just one person and and help bring if 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 I died tomorrow and I only ever helped one person discover Christ and get to the kingdom of heaven. Like that's, that's enough, man. That like the angels would rejoice in heaven. God would be like so proud that I had helped one person find him and get to the kingdom, you know? And like, like that, that's, yeah. Like people, like, I, I don't want any of the like younger dudes in their earlier twenties or any of the young women or a- a- anyone in particular to be discouraged if they can- don't feel like they can make this massive difference. Like it's dude to just witness to one right. person and help them discover Christ. That is a, that is something of eternal significance. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot to be proud of there. You know, one of the um, things that really struck me and before I got baptized was when I read mere Christianity, I think it was CS Lewis. I think it was in that book where he said, if you give yourself to Christ, you don't lose yourself. You receive yourself back, but perfected, but you're no longer your own. Mm. Right. So, so people are, so if, if there are people listening, like, how can I make a big difference? Well, if you've really, and this was my experience, this is one of the things that contributed to my, to my eventual conversion and baptism was that I had that experience that I gave myself to Christ. I spoke, I spoke some words. Okay. I, I give myself to Christ and I received myself back. Um, I, I wouldn't say perfected is not really the right word for the moment, but, I received back. I was right. I was doing a short story, short story writing class, and I gave myself to Christ when I was writing the short story in the class. And what came out of that immediately was the best short story that I've ever written. And I've never written a short story before, and it accurately captured my own feelings of this moment in New Zealand. I'm like, where did that come from? Now it's a small little thing. It sounds really significant, but for me, the emotional experience of like of being able to do that was undeniably powerful. And that was like, wow, there's like actually something to this. It was God showing up for me in the way that I, in the way that I needed to communicate to me. Someone else might hear that and say, that doesn't sound like much to me. It was a big deal to me. And so that was proof for me that when you offer yourself to Christ, you receive yourself back perfected, but you no longer belong to yourself. And then the gifts that you have naturally flourish out into the world. And that's how they reach people. That's how it gets out there. So you wonder like, how am I going to make an impact? I don't give yourself first. And then when you receive yourself back and you get sanctified and regenerated, from all of that, that's where the fruit begins to flower. But you, you can't know what the fruit is going to look like until you plant the seed, until you grow the tree. And so don't get ahead wondering how you're going to make an impact. Trust that you will, even if it's within your own house, your own family, your hobbies, your bowling league, doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be 80,000 Twitter followers drop on you out of the sky, right? It can be you making a difference in your community in a way that impacts lives for generations, think how God thinks, which is, he thinks in the whole story of redemptive history, not necessarily just in the exclusive thought of one person's, you know, one person's contribution. We can't know the impact that we have. We might be blessed to be given Excalibur of a Twitter account or a platform. That might not be for us, but we know that we can reach the people around us. And in some ways, that's more important because the screen clicks off, you know, you put the phone in the pocket or whatever, and the person goes away. But the person, the people you see in your everyday life that you live next to, that you work with, that you hang out with, that you do your hobbies with, those are the people, those are the relationships that really matter. 
Those are the ones that'll be there when all the lights click off, you know, because of some psyop, right? These are the people around us. And I, and I think to start there, that's a real impact. That's a, that, and don't, don't underestimate the value of that in our, in our celebrity culture or making a big worldwide impact. If you can reach the person next to you, like you said, like you said, like you just said, one person, God will celebrate you getting one person and there's people around you all the time. Amen, bro. That was, that was so wonderfully said and such a good reminder for me as well. And you referenced my Twitter account. Like the thing is, is like, dude, God could nuke my Twitter account tomorrow. I could get banned off Twitter tomorrow and he would still be good. You know, Mm -hmm. like he, he, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He, he could, he could, I could get nuked off of all of social media and even just to have the opportunity to witness to my neighbors and, and, and to, to honor my grandmother by, by caring for her and stuff like that's that, even though it's super humble, like that's, that's enough for God in his eyes. You know, we always can do enough in God's eyes with what we're given at any moment in time. And uh quick question for you. How, how much yeah. longer do you want to go? I know that you've got to go to your men's group at some point soon. Let's go, let's go for another 15 or 20 minutes or so, if, that's, if that works for you. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I don't know if you have any questions for me. I do have one question for you. It's up to yeah. you where you want to take this. I'm, I'm curious what you want to ask me. I like your questions, actually. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to ask you about um, like your perspective on... You've referenced Doug Wilson's writings and his ministry mm-hmm. and stuff. I just, I recently, uh, Canon Press's Twitter account reached out to me recently. They asked if I wanted to come on their show that they're doing. It's called Man Rampant. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Doug Wilson is extremely respected in, in the Christian community. And he's, I didn't know like a lot about it's, it's actually, it's so funny how life works, man. I, uh, so one of one of the generational sins and curses that exists in my family is uh, that of infidelity, right? So my mm-hmm. grandfather he he was not faithful to his wife. Um, my biological father conceived me out of his marriage. So he my my biological father met my mother. He was married. He had an affair with my mother. Mm-hmm. The two of them conceived mm-hmm. me, right? And the the masculine urge to, uh, you know, sleep with many women, all that kind of stuff. It's always something I've felt inside of my flesh. And I look at, I look at, I look at what not know, like I've never really known my biological father. He and I had a relationship for a few years where we started to get to know each other a little bit when I was like 17, 18, 19. But after that, like I never really knew him and that like that, that has like messed with me a lot. And I've, I've seen the ramifications of, of his sin with my mother in my own life and how much destruction it's sown. And so I've always been like, I've always been like, like, especially for the past few years, I've been like, man, I really want to like effectively govern my flesh as much as possible and have the best marriage that I possibly can. And I bought, I bought this book, uh, written by Doug Wilson. I didn't realize it was by Doug Wilson at the time, but it's called Fidelity, How to Be a One-Woman Man. To read, yeah, to read uh, uh, Doug Wilson's perspective on biblical male sexuality so that I could like, because I want to do everything I possibly can to, to govern my flesh and end the generational sin and curse like with my life, right? And, you know, I, I bought this book, started reading through it. Then fast forward a couple of months, 
his ministry reached out after everything went viral and they were like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to come on our show? And I was like, sounds cool. Let's start talking about it. And, uh, then I saw that this book that I bought was written by him and I was like, Holy smokes, this is crazy. (laughs) And as I've been like looking more into like wisdom around biblical marriage and stuff and and especially courtship, because that's, there's a, there's a girl that I very badly want to court for marriage and, and I'm going to need to be very effective and humble in the process. If, if God is going to give me success in doing that, you know, Doug Wilson's name keeps coming up over and over again, all over the place. And I was curious just for your perspective on like his ministry, the impact he's made in the world, what I should know about, you know, him and his work before going on his show. Like just, yeah, tell me about it if you would. I'm I'm honored that you asked. Thank you. Um, there's there I can give so many different answers to that question that are that are um, all that all stem from a place of being so profoundly blessed by him and his work and his ministry and his church and his community and all the good men and women that he's brought to Moscow, Idaho, and all of the people that he's blessed in my life through the things that he writes about. Um, my sincere, my sincere opinion about Doug Wilson is that um, his history will look back on on this moment as um, a very dark time in uh, in, in American history and, and perhaps also in world history, and will look to the men who stood up boldly for the faith in the best possible traditions of Christianity, and they will look to a couple lights who really, really stood up when it counted and moved the faith forward from a historical perspective. And I believe history will look back on Doug Wilson as one of those men. I think it's beyond question for me. And um, I, um, I, I, that's, my, that's my take on, on who he is as a man. I've been very blessed to get to interview him twice on my podcast. Um, once about the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy, and that was a wonderful conversation. And then once he, um, he was my first teacher Blessedly so about postmillennialism, coming to understand that that eschatology. Um, I think that the work that they're doing uh, in Moscow with Canon Press, Canon Plus, is of profound significance to the Christian faith, in that it's pioneering a way forward for Christian men and women to the great reconciliation in Christ between men and women. Like what? What, what are we for as men and women? What are, we, what are we meant to be with and for each other? Who are we meant to serve Christ? And they put forward everything they do, which is so far beyond my ability to take it all in. Every time I go to the Canon Press website and I look at all the books they've published, like it's, a, it's beyond libraries worth and there's new ones coming out all the time. I buy a Doug Wilson book and then the following week, another Doug Wilson book comes out. Yeah. So he, he <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but you know, He's leading from the front, and it's so wonderful to see uh, uh, such an accomplished man of elder status with kids and grandkids leading from the front, out there taking it on the nose, p- putting forth the, the quote-unquote controversial but really biblical positions that I think American Christians and Christians worldwide need to hear, and continuing to show up and do it day after day, again and again, with such good humor that's the thing that most that comes across to me most of all that makes him so distinctive is his joviality like the things he talks about are of profound theological weight of profound social and cultural weight even historical weight but he, he always has a smile on his face or a smile on his heart 
and he invites people in, men, women, in this Chestertonian way. And so when I, when I, came, I wasn't lucky enough to live during Chesterton, but I was lucky enough to live during Doug Wilson. And I mean that sincerely from the bottom of my heart. He has, he has blessed my life with everything that he writes about and everything that he talks about. And Toby Sumter as well, and Ben Merkel, right? All, the, all, and Jared Longshore is coming on the podcast in a couple months. All those, all those men up there, they gravitate towards this, the, the gravitational center of Doug Wilson, where he binds them together like a community and a true patriarch. So um, I, w- I, I give him my highest recommendation. That was a... Wow, that's an extremely high recommendation and extremely high praise. Um, yeah, I feel like to accept this opportunity to go on his show, I feel like I'm stepping into the arena of a, a, a titan, and uh, that is like incredibly humbling and 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 honoring and uh, it's exciting, man. It's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> super exciting. Have you watched his show, Man Rampant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, rampant, and um, and uh, I've got a stack of Doug Wilson books next to me and behind me. Um, and I would say that um, that he does it all to the glory of God in in a way that is distinctly his own, as all the men of of Christ Church in Moscow and Canon do. And and I, I I see you fitting very well in that because as you, as we've talked about, you do things to the glory of God and you do them in your own unique way with your own unique story. And there's something very powerful about being a man in in submission to Christ. And speaking with your voice and your identity and your story and your redemptive arc and owning that among a community of other men. So I think it's a, it's a, from my perspective, it's a, it's a very well deserved opportunity because as we've sat here talking for going on three hours now, I think if not more, three I mean, and a half you, hours, yeah. Three and a half hours. Yeah. So you've, you've shown yourself to, to, to be a, a man among men. And I've talked to many of them. And so I, I see it as a, a very worthwhile opportunity because I think you can serve a lot of young men with your voice. So um, I think it's deserved and earned, and I, I have no doubt that you'll be fine. Thank you. I appreciate that. I uh, yeah, I'm re- I'm really I'm really excited at the opportunity to serve God in this time because you're right that like future generations will look back on this time as one of the darkest moments in human history. And mm-hmm. what what better of a time for heroes to step up to the plate, right? Yes. Like they're called, uh, go ahead. Yeah. There's just, there's no, I mean, if you, if you want to uh, fight for the glory of God and, and, and jockey for position as a champion in the spiritual war, there's no better time than when, when times look darkest, you know, to shine the light. And uh, it's, it's super exciting. And I'm, I'm curious, I dude, honestly, I've been so busy. I haven't done enough research into man rampant. Can you tell me about like the concept of the show and like what I might, what I ought to expect going on it? Um, I, I don't know. That I, I will try based on my impressions of it. It seems to be a co- conversations that uh, Doug Wilson has with uh, men who speak up, you know, forcefully and confidently and clearly and intelligently for the kingdom, right? Who who are unafraid, un, uh, maybe their heads are bloodied but unbowed. And, uh, and they continue putting forth an opinion that honors men and honors women and honors our mutual destiny together. And they, and they do it with clarity and, and, uh, and guts. And so that would be my impression of the men that have been on Man Rampant and what Doug tries to surface in those, in those interviews. It's like these are, these are men of, of spiritual and moral courage professing the faith. And so that's my impression of what this, that series is about. 
Dude, that's so cool. I feel so freaking honored to be invited onto it. That's so cool, Pretty man. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Do you, do you have any other questions for me? Uh, you know, we, we just have five more minutes. And uh, because you've read The Great Divorce, I wonder if we can just spend five minutes talking about The Great Divorce because I've read that you. recently and it, it definitely touched my heart. Yeah, let's, let's do it. So um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think since we've been talking about the Christian faith, there's always this question hanging around the background for some people and quite the foreground for people about the notions of heaven and hell, which we've actually named. And hell is often portrayed you know, in, in, in so many ways, heat and darkness and, and, and none of us have been there. So we can't know this is how it's portrayed in the Bible, but the mechanic, I guess you would say, um, as I read through, um, as I read through the great divorce, I was struck by what C.S. Lewis had captured in terms of like, no, you're not sent to hell by, by an angry God. You send yourself there and you're not, and, and heaven, heaven is within your reach. Um, and so that really that really struck me because I thought that was the thing that C.S. Lewis answered so clearly and so brilliantly that um, this is not this is this is not um, I guess I'll say what it is it is your choice it is your choice yeah that it's been about five or six years since I read The Great Divorce but what I thought C.S. Lewis did so brilliantly to expand on what you're saying is he made it obvious how much of a choice it is for people to reject the heavenly things and the heavenly posture and a heavenly disposition towards themselves and others, right? You've got Mm -hmm. in in the hell of the great divorce, you've got this like bleak gray place that stretches for millions of miles in all directions. And everybody's just like arguing with one another and they hate one another. And they're, you know, cutting each other in line, waiting to get on the bus to take them up to the heavenly realm. And like nobody's taking any accountability for their actions mm-hmm. or their their own wickedness, right? It's just a total lack of accountability for their own wit- wickedness. No one takes any responsibility for it. And everybody's blaming everybody else for everything. And um and then like when they when they get to the heavenly place and they're trying to make their their way towards the uh realm beyond the mountains that is heaven, you know, I just thought it was so fascinating that that each of them were sent like someone from their life who had found repentance and forgiveness in Christ. And the people would, the, the people that are trying to get their way to heaven, they would see this person who had been a wicked sinner in their life. And they're like, how are you here? You did all of these like wicked, terrible things. And you know, you're like, I should be in your position. Right. And the, the, the heavenly people would like approach them with like so much humility and like compassion as well. And, uh, and, and they would, they would, they would acknowledge their own wrongdoing in their life and Christ's mercy for their wrongdoing. But the people that, you know, couldn't quite make the cut to get to heaven are just pointing their finger at everybody else except for themselves. And I just, I thought that was such a brilliant, brilliant allegory for who we are liable to be as people before finding Christ. And it like really just pointed a mirror towards me and myself in my own life. And it's a lesson that I continue to learn of like acknowledging how much I screw up in my own life and then point the finger at other people. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's the thing that stands out most to me from that book. And there's other stuff too. What happened with the lizard? Wasn't there like a red lizard or something? And it like, in, it like oh, demonstrated yeah. sexual sin or temptation or something, and somebody had to kill it to continue on towards heaven. 
You remember that? Yeah, thank I do. Yeah, thank you about that. Yeah, the the lizard, the lizard was you know like the like the the you know, the the demon sitting on his shoulder that was leading him to sin, and he had to he had to um, overcome his own sin to be transformed. Let's put it that I don't want to spoil the story for the people, but yeah, I was I was uh, tears came to my eyes during that. It's so real. It's so real. Yeah. Yeah, it is. C.S. Lewis was such a genius, man. And it that that book, like one of the interesting thing that things that that book does is it calls into question, like, how would I put this? It's Christ, when you look through the scriptures, Christ has very these very clear lines in the sand in terms of who will not be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. And it's basically like, if you don't repent of your sins, like if you're an idolater or a fornicator or a thief or a murderer or a liar or a coward or any of these different things, you will not be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. Like that is not, that is not the place for you. And I look at that and I'm like, well, we're all guilty of those sins. And I know that Christ paid the price for those sins, but it's like, if, if we must be pure and perfect in the kingdom of God, which is what in my humble understanding, it seems that the scriptures are are pointing towards. If we must be pure and perfect to exist in the kingdom of God, what does that process of purification look like for us getting there? Uh, and I know obviously, (laughs) excuse me. Um, I know obviously that like, you know, we're purified by the blood of Christ, but it's also like, you know, I still have sinful behaviors that will need to be corrected. And, and perhaps the allegory of the great divorce could demonstrate, I don't know, some sort of like spiritual purification process we might embark on, on our own, on our own, like pilgrims progress journey into the kingdom of heaven. I don't know. I don't know. It, ra- it raises interesting questions because I know like if I died right now, like all of the sin that I have inside, like the, the sinful, be- <coughs> the sinful behaviors I have, like they, they wouldn't fly in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. And I know that my sins are paid for, but like a lot of those sinful behaviors are still a part of my psyche. And it's like, well, how do I, how do I reconcile where I am right now with if I died tomorrow, then existing in the kingdom of heaven and I, I don't know. I think the book could offer a clever allegory of, of that, that mm-hmm. process of purification. I don't know. It's, 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 I'm left with spiritual questions in this way. You know, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, my, my, my Catholic and Orthodox Eastern Orthodox listeners might have uh might have a bit to say about that. Um, because that, that is, that is the question of, of, uh, and I, I wouldn't say that I have any good answers for it, but I can say that in myself that in the coming up on three years since baptism, and this is coming from the perspective of a guy who spent 20 years in the new age, which is all about works-based salvation. Like if you're going to make it to any kind of heaven, which is only framed as a rebirth into a better life next time, or possibly enlightenment, the only way that you're going to get there is through your your own effort. So you'd meditation, ayahuasca, whatever, crystals, yoga, you do all the things and that's how you earn your salvation, which is either maybe you're reborn into a happier life next time, or you achieve enlightenment, or you come back as a bodhisattva or something like that, and you serve humanity, whatever. So what I've experienced since baptism over the past three years is a progressive process of sanctification and regeneration, re- really receiving, you know, having, having the heart of stone be taken and the heart of flesh be given and finding my to- total being being regenerated slowly but surely not necessarily with any like active doing of things to have that happen. 
but with the way that I the way that I participate is through repentance. Is through this is how I participate. I'm I'm not. I don't know. I, I don't know how anyone else would work. I only know my own process is that um, I through fasting I discover the way the things that I need to repent for and the people that I need to apologize to. For example, like I've fasted a couple times in the past few months, and what I experience is that the fasting squeezes out these things of me that I need to repent for, uncomfortable phone calls that I need to make, people I need to contact and say I'm sorry. And that's really painful and it's really humbling, but it gets me to a position where I can apologize and then the Holy Spirit continues moving through me. That is my participation in that process. How that transitions into the afterlife, I don't know, but I can say I have been regenerated as a being. And that's why I speak so forcefully because I got saved from myself and I am a new man. I know what it means to be reborn. Like I am truly the born again Christian that I would have warned myself about, which is the best. And so um, how that works from a spiritual perspective um, is not something that I feel like I can speak confidently on um, beyond my own experience. But I can say that C.S. Lewis does, as you say, point out in, in The Great Divorce that there is a process of having to let go of our pet sins, of having, to, of having to put them to death, of having to nail them to the cross so that we can be free of them and be transformed. And when I read that, um, I remember how powerful that scene was because ultimately I think God is calling us home uh, towards him as, as men and women. And like you say, some things can't come along for the ride, um, most notably our pride, but I don't know, we don't need it anyway. Amen, bro. Well said. Yeah. Even, you've inspired me to begin praying about uh, fasting and, and to, to embark on that process again because... I feel like I could use it, man. My life has been so freaking like just so much turbulence and like, I, you know, mistakes that I've made in the past month and things that I'm like still angry about that are happening in my life. And yeah, I could use, I could use that, that, that clarity and that stillness internally, spiritually. Uh, so thank you for inspiring me with that. Yeah, I absolutely recommend, um, Absolutely recommend a period of, of of fasting. I did a hundred hours at the end of last year, so that's like four days plus a little bit. Really, really super worth it, and it, it has a very profound way of clarifying everything, and um, so that we can move past, so that I can move past it. I presume that it works that way for others, so I, I highly recommend it. Well, this has been absolutely marvelous. Praise God, all glory to Him. Thank you so much, Chase, for the gift of your time for the gift of this conversation, for the gift of your fellowship, for the gift of your honesty, um, for the gift of your brotherhood and the gift of your voice. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you likewise for all the same things. Thank you for the honor of coming on your show. Thank you for the prayer that you've given me in the uh, past few days. I really appreciate that. Aside from your uh, documentary, is there anything you'd like prayer for in your life? Uh, a wife. Godly wife seeks the kingdom of kingdom of God. Who seeks the kingdom of God in Christ for, for first and foremost? Yeah, I feel you on that. All of the listeners, you guys know what to pray for for Will, uh, for kingdom finances for his documentary, and a, a godly Proverbs thirty-one wife who he can claim wins for the kingdom with and uh, and pursue heaven with. And uh, if I if I may make a prayer request, yes, please. it's that. Um, yeah, if, if if people could could pray for me, it would be for healing for my body with Lyme disease and greater clarity in terms of how I can effectively serve God in this season of my life. And that 
to add on to that too, that, that my faith in his plan for my life could be strengthened. Those three things, healing, he would clarify his, how I can serve him effectively and that my faith could be strengthened. We can, we can, we can pray for that now if, if you'd like. Yeah, let's do it. You want to lead us? Yes. Thank you. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this conversation, for fellowship, for brotherhood. Thank you for the salvation that you freely offer as a gift of grace, the opportunity to serve your kingdom and to meet fellow humble servants who have been saved and sanctified in service of you. Thank you for my brother Chase, a man that you have blessed with such gifts. I'd like to pray, and I'd like everyone listening now to pray with me on behalf of the healing of his body against this disease. Pray for clarity in his mission, that he knows how he can serve you, how he can put his gifts into service for you, and for the strengthening of his faith in you as he's called forth on this mission to serve millions of men and women, and hopefully also, Lord, a family, a godly wife, children, and a legacy. Thank you for the blessing of my brother Chase. Thank you for bringing him into my life. Thank you for bringing your son, Jesus Christ, into my life and for calling me into service for you and for the gift of salvation for all who call out your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, Heavenly Father, I likewise just, I want to thank you so much for the doors that you've opened in my life in the past few months, Lord. I want to thank you for answering my prayers and, and my my desire to serve you and to be a weapon to the kingdom, Lord. I, your your glory is just made so obvious in how you've answered those prayers in the past few months, God. And um, I just thank you for your goodness and for for just answering those prayers, Lord Jesus. And I pray for Will in his mission, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen him and encourage him and fill him with energy and faith and vigor and vitality as he is exposing to the world this wonderful renaissance of men that is happening, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen him in that mission. You would bring him allies and resources financially to support that mission for your glory, Lord. I pray that you would introduce... Um, wealthy patrons who seek your glory, Lord, into his life so that they can support his, the creation of his documentary and whatever other ventures he's creating, Lord, to, to glorify you. And I pray for um, the woman that, that you intend to introduce him to at some point, Lord, that, that it, would, it would happen according to your timing. And hopefully that timing is sooner rather than later. <laughs> and uh, that both both she and and he will are are prepared to meet one another and to meet one another in, with with Christ-like love and uh, that that your glory would be made manifest in that relationship God and that you would just bring him a fantastic woman that supports him in his mission and just cheers him on as the champion that he is Lord and if it's if it's his will and if it's your will Lord that the two of them could be fruitful and have an amazing family that glorifies you God 
and just a fantastic, fantastic marriage um, and partnership on their way towards your kingdom, God. And I, I pray for all of this uh, in the name of your Holy Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, bro. <laughs> what a gift, man. Thank you. Thank <sighs> you, man. I've been blessed yeah. by this, Will. I've been blessed by this. I've been blessed by you, bro. <laughs> same, same, bro. Thank you so much. I'm very blessed by you, by this, by this conversation. And thank you. I'm, 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 I'm out of words. <laughs> to God, the glory, man. To God, the glory. Amen. To God, the glory. He's so, he's so good, dude. He's so good. It's so awesome to see what he's doing in the world. So bro, God bless you, man. And th- yeah, thank you again for having me on the show. And for everybody who listened, thank you guys for listening and giving us your time. I hope you guys were blessed by this. And by the way, if anybody wants to um, connect with me on social media, you can find my my tag on on Twitter or on Instagram at Sovereign Bra, B-R-A-H. Um, that's on both Twitter and Instagram. And where where can where can people find you, Will? Uh, you can find me by going to linktree slash renofmen or renofmen.com. All the social media platforms are just at renofmen, and that's R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, like Renaissance of Men, but shorter, at renofmen. Sweet. <sighs> Thank you. Let's go. I'm thinking we're back, dude. I think we're back. We're so back. We are so back right now, dude. We're going to win, bro. <laughs> we're going to win. We already won. Amen. All right, man. Amen. Thank you for having me. Good luck with your men's group tonight. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.